You are listening to the Strangers and Pilgrims podcast. Palmolive Soap, your beauty hope, and luster cream shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. teaches English at Madison High. Well, like many other romantically inclined people, she sent the object of her affections, Madison's bashful biologist, Philip Boynton, an unsigned card for Valentine's Day. And then she sat down to wait for his reply. It wasn't that his reply was long in coming. It just didn't come at all. <laughs> Knowing Mr. Boynton, I wasn't too surprised that he forgot about Valentine's Day. But I was determined to change the locale of our next date. For the past six weeks, we had spent every Friday afternoon at the zoo. Now, I am definitely not anti-animal, but I am a schoolteacher. And hence, after spending three hours in the monkey house, I just can't afford to buy taboo by the court. (laughs) I was brooding about it in the school cafeteria on Friday when Harriet Conklin walked over. Mind if I sit down with you, Miss Brooks? Not at all, Harriet. But don't you usually have lunch with Walter Denton? Oh, yes, I do. But he's manager of the basketball team, you know, and he's giving the boys an extra skull practice. Really? Whose skull are they using today? <laughs> I hope you're not expecting Mr. Boynton to have lunch with you, Miss Brooks. He told me he was eating his lunch in the laboratory because he didn't want to leave McDougal alone. Oh, don't tell me that frog is sick again. Oh, not actually sick. It's just spring fever or something. It's kind of fun to have lunch without any men around anyway. Don't you think so, Miss Brooks? Well, yes and no. What do you mean, yes and no? No. (laughs) We haven't had a real woman-to-woman talk in a long time. You know, Walter Denton is crazier about me than ever. All I have to do is whistle and he comes running. Really? It's the only way to train them. That's what you ought to try with Mr. Boynton. I have, but every time I whistle, he opens his lunchbox. (laughs) Walter just smothers me with attention. Sometimes his dog-like affection and constant worship becomes absolutely cloying. Well, I wish Mr. Boynton would cloy me once in a while. (laughs) By the way, Harriet, when Walter takes you out on a date, where do you usually go? Oh, all sorts of places, Miss Brooks. A drive in the country or, or a long walk in the park. Sometimes we go to a movie and hold hands. Do you ever go to the zoo? The zoo? Gosh, no. Except when Mr. Boynton takes us there for his monthly lecture. That's where I've got an edge on you kids. I hear it every week. (laughs) But Mr. Boynton takes you to the movies once in a while, doesn't he? Oh, yes. As a matter of fact, we went last week. Was it romantic? Oh, extremely. We stood in a crowd of people behind a velvet rope for a while, and then an usher said, there's one down front. Yes. That was the last I saw of Mr. Boynton for three hours. I finally got a seat in the balcony. Golly, that's a shame, Miss Brooks. You couldn't hold hands at all, could you? Not even with the long gloves I was wearing. (laughs) But about those Fridays in the monkey house, Harriet... I'm surprised at you, Miss Brooks. You don't really let Mr. Boynton take you to the monkey house every week, do you? Well, I think it's the monkey house. It can't be the Taj Mahal with all those bananas. Uh. Well, well, if it isn't Madison High's Ferris, may I join this charming bevy of pulchritude? Why, Walter, what a lovely speech. Yes, you are a delightful child, Walter. 
But if you'll excuse me, Miss Brooks, I'd like to get my entree at the steam table. Oh, can I be of service, Fair Harriet? I'll gladly fetch what you want. No, thank you. But if you'll sit up nicely when I return, I'll pat you on the head. Arf, arf. <laughs> can I get you anything, Miss Brooks? No, thanks, Harriet. Just bring back a roast beef bone and a can of strong heart. <laughs> okay, Harriet. You know, I think it's wonderful the way you kids get along. You're very fond of Harriet, aren't you, Walter? Very. A plus which Harriet's the principal's daughter and I'm manager of the basketball team. And there are things that I can accomplish quicker if I can get to Mr. Conklin without having to go through regulation channels all the time. What's good about getting to Mr. Conklin so fast? Well, I like getting things done fast that need getting done fast. Uh, like New Jersey's, for instance. Like New Jersey's what, for instance? <laughs> Not New Jersey's anything. New Jersey's for the basketball team. Oh, we need them badly. You do at that. The ones the team wore in their last game looked awfully fuzzy. They didn't wear any in their last game. <laughs> but I'm sure the new ones will come through all right. I'm taking Harriet out on a date tonight, and I can bring it up casually when I see Mr. Conklin at his house. I don't like to suggest a career for you, Walter, but I have a feeling you're going to kiss an awful lot of babies before you're much older. <laughs> oh, I could never be a politician. I'm too sincere. Oh, but why are we talking about me? You seem to have a problem of your own on your mind, Miss Brooks. Is it that obvious, Walter? I have been thinking about Mr. Boynton, but only in connection with getting him out of the zoo and into my parlor. That shouldn't be too tough. What kind of a web are you spinning? Web? Look, Miss Brooks, at the risk of feeling like a traitor to a fellow male, I'll help you plot Mr. Boynton's overthrow. But frankly, I'm kind of hungry right now. Then why don't you eat, Walter, and we can finish building the bomb after lunch? Oh, say, there's Mr. LeBlanche, the new French teacher. Oh, he ought to know plenty about romance. He's a real Frenchman. I'll call him over Don't and... you dare, Walter. When I'm ready to take my case to the United Nations, I'll let you know. <laughs> Besides, I've seen Mr. LeBlanche on dates with Miss Enright lately. So what? Miss Enright goes on dates with anybody. Gosh, every time she sees Mr. Boynton, she makes goo-goo eyes at him. That's not nice, Walter. Miss Enright's eyes are always that way. <laughs> I mean, it's unethical. Unethical is better than lonesome, Miss Brooks. Oh, Mr. LeBlanc. Walter, please. You I... call me Walter? Yes. Would you be kind enough to come over here a minute? I'd like to talk to you about something very important. Well, you better talk to me, Walter, man. because I refuse I to... I bring my coffee along and... Oh. I'll do you, Miss Brooks. Fine. How do you, Mr. LeBlanc? <laughs> What, uh, what did you want to talk to me about, Walter? Oh, it isn't important. I'll see you later. Now, that's what I call a real subtle maneuver. <laughs> he's a, he's a funny boy, no? No. <laughs> well, now, now he's just you and I, Miss Brooks, eh? I'm afraid he's just you, Mr. LeBlanc. I've got to see Mr. Conklin about something. Mr. Conklin, please, Miss Brooks, I think Mr. Conklin's a fine principal... But do you have to mention him during the lunch period? <laughs> You've got something there. I guess it can wait a while. It's only a question of giving him my weekly dollar. Oh, you owe him a weekly dollar? For what? It's a long and grim story, but I think I can boil it down to the repulsive essentials. A couple of weeks ago, I took an electric heater of his, connected it in Mr. Boynton's laboratory on an overloaded circuit, and shorted the building, started a small fire, and ruined the heater. Why do you do that? I like sirens. <laughs> oh, I didn't do it purposely, Mr. LeBlanc. It was an accident. 
one for which I'm paying at the rate of a dollar a week. And today's dollar day at Madison. <laughs> well, that is too bad, Miss Books, but it is not money that causes you to look the way you do today. Is there a sign on my forehead? How do I look today? Well, there are only two things that can make a woman have the look you have on your face. One is an affair of the heart. The other is the meat balls in this cafeteria. <laughs> But, but neither of them is incurable, huh? I'm sure. You haven't eaten those meatballs lately. <laughs> Look, it's nice of you to try and cheer me up, Mr. LeBlanc. Oh, please, but... call me Paul. And I'm not trying to cheer you up. I'm trying to help you. First of all, tell me this. Did you receive any messages on Valentine's Day? Oh, scared. I got one from Zimmerman's Bakery, one from the finance company, a lovely little card from Bertie's Bicycle Shop. In the shape of a pump, that one was. <laughs> and, uh... Oh, yes, a dandy little poem from Sam, our neighborhood scissor sharpener. I think I remember that one. It went, uh, I've applied my grindstone to shears both old and new, but I never met a scissors one half as sharp as you. <laughs> Wasn't that a peachy sentiment for Valentine's Day? Oh, quite amusing, yes, but not to you, I'm afraid, because you're not in love with Sam the scissor or Bertie the bicycle. No, my problem is Boynton, the biology. <laughs> Miss Brooks, since we have taken me into your confidence, I would like to make a suggestion. You must play... How do you say in this country? Uh, uh, you must play difficult to acquire. Difficult to acquire? Ah. Oh, you mean hard to get. Mm. Uh -huh. Precisely. <laughs> now tell me, tell me the truth. When Mr. Boynton asks you for an engagement, do you ever say no? Well, No. But it isn't just because of Mr. Boynton. I'd hate to disappoint 400 monkeys. <laughs> that is, I haven't gone out with him much lately at all. Because he do not ask you. Well, I like that. I am glad. Miss Brooks, there's one way to get a man interested that never fails. You must make him jealous. <laughs> I've tried that, Mr. LeBlanc, but he does, just doesn't jealous very easily. <laughs> Ah, yes, but you've tried it only once. That is not enough. How do the big American advertisings work? A repetition, over and over the same thing. What is it you hear on the radio all the time? Smoker Benny. <laughs> again and again. Smoker Benny. <laughs> if you repeat this often enough, do you know what happens? Yeah, Jack gets pretty burned up. <laughs> no, Mr. LeBlanc, I'm afraid Mr. Boynton is too wrapped up in a frog to pay any attention to me. Oh, but of course, I forget Monsieur Le Frog. You know, in France, we have a proverb. Le chemin au cœur d'homme et par son grinelle. Translation, the way to a man's heart is through his frog. <laughs> I don't see what it has oh, to do. Oh, it's so simple, really. Here you have a man with his little pet, Monsieur Le Frog. And here you have a woman with her pet, Mademoiselle La Frog. Now, we convince the man that Monsieur Le Frog is lonesome. And where can his poor little frog find companionship? With Mademoiselle La Frog. And when the two little frogs are together, where are the man and the woman? Pricing junior beds for tadpoles. <laughs> No, Miss Books, no. The man and the woman are also together. Now you know, Miss Books, what you have to do to get Mr. Boynton to be a pastor door. No? 
Yes, I've got to build a better frog trap. <laughs> Look, Mr. LeFrog, uh, LeBlanc. <laughs> this idea is oh, a little impractical. coming, Miss Brooks. Oh, you look better already. Hello, Walter. Mr. LeBlanc is quite an idea man. <laughs> we were just discussing a really fantastic scheme. Not only fantastic, but ridiculous and absurd. Walter. Yes, Miss Brooks? Run down to Peterson's Pet Shop and get me a female frog. <laughs> Starring Eve Arden will continue in just a moment, but first, here is Vern Smith. The makers of Palm Olive Soap are giving away $100,000 in prizes. First prize, $49,000, plus over 4,900 other cash prizes in the big 49 Gold Rush Contest. Hundreds will strike it rich in this exciting Gold Rush Contest. One of them may be you. It's easy to enter. Just finish this sentence in 25 additional words or less. I like Palm Olive Soap because... That's all. Just 25 words or less to finish the sentence, I like palm olive soap because. Then mail your entry right away along with a palm olive soap wrapper. Try for your share of that $100,000 in prizes right now. Your chance of winning $49,000 is as good as anyone's. Get entry blank with complete rules from your dealer or write your completed sentence on plain paper. Include your name and address and dealer's name and address. Mail with one palm olive soap wrapper for each entry to Gold Rush Contest, Box 49, New York 8, New York. Better write that down. Gold Rush Contest, Box 49, New York 8, New York. Enter as often as you like, including one wrapper with each entry. Get palm olive soap right away to help win a lovelier complexion and try for your share of the $100,000 in cash prizes. Well, I gave Walter my last dollar to buy a female frog, and while he was out getting it, I took advantage of a free period to visit Mr. Boynton in his laboratory. Hello, Mr. Boynton. Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. I just dropped in to say hello, Mr. Boynton. Hello. Well, goodbye, Mr. Boynton. <laughs> oh, don't go yet. I've just been examining McDougal. You know, my frog. He's got me a little worried. He's way off his feet, and we'll, we'll look at him. <laughs> Don't you think his eyes pop out more than usual? Yeah. <laughs> Hi, Mac. Mac, don't you? Uh, no, Miss... It's spring, and it's just... After all, you raised him from a tadpole, and it's only natural that you should still think of him as your baby, but he's a big boy now. <laughs> this, Mr. Boynton, did it ever occur to you that Mac gets lonesome all alone in that cage? Oh, I let him out of the cage quite often. He hops all over the lab. But what good is that? He hasn't got any friends here. Well, no, there are always a number of guinea pigs around. Of course, he doesn't pay much attention to them. Well, naturally, guinea pigs make fine friends for other guinea pigs. A frog might crave a different kind of companionship. Well, what about me? I'm very close to McDougal. I've been his constant companion. If I were a frog, I don't think I'd consider that the ideal arrangement either. No, I think I'd want something a little more frog-like. Just, what are you getting at, with Brooks? Look, did you ever sit down and tell McDougal about the birds and bees... What does he want with birds and bees? He won't even make friends with guinea pigs. <laughs> well, let me put it this way. Mrs. Davis, my landlady, has a cat named Minerva. Now, around this time of the year, Minerva keeps us both awake half the night with an almost incessant yowling. Well, have you tried giving her a saucer of milk? That's not what she's yowling about, Mr. Barnett. <laughs> milk's very effective with a cat, you 
Willie. Yes, I know. And believe me, if I thought it would quiet her down, I'd give her an autographed picture of Elsie the cow. But it won't. She's yowling because she's lonely. Why, Miss Brooks, I didn't know you were so aware of these biological manifestations. Where did you learn all this? My mama done told me. <laughs> I mean, a lot of things since, since I've acquired my pet frog. Pet female frog, that is. Oh, you have a pet frog, Miss Brooks? What's her name? Her name? Uh, Millie. Millie? Yes, from the, from the picture, The Mating of Millie. <laughs> oh, she's awfully cute, too. <laughs> Well, you'd think Mac almost understood what you were talking about. Well, don't think for a minute he doesn't. What do you say, Mac? Would you like to come over and play with Millie this afternoon? <laughs> Hooray! Today you are a man, Frog. Oh, this is amazing, Miss Brooks. If you don't mind, I'd like to ask you if... A... Uh, shine up your hope chest, Millie. Here it comes. I'd like to ask you, Miss Brooks, how about a, a double date? That is, if you... If it isn't too much trouble. Shall we say my place for tea? Splendid. Just bring a pogo stick and a deck of cards, Mr. Barnhill. A pogo stick and cards? Yes, while Mac and Millie play gin, you and I can have a hopping contest. <laughs> oh, l'amour, l'amour. Excuse me, uh, could you come over here to the door a minute, Miss Brooks? I've got to get to my next class. Oh, certainly, Walter. I'll just be a minute, Mr. Barnhill. Did you get it, Walter? Yes, it's in this paper bag, Miss Brooks. Here. Thanks. That's okay. I hope it works, Miss Brooks. Well, I'll see you in English. What's in the bag, Miss Brooks? This bag? Oh, just a roast beef sandwich Walter brought me. Well, it's a pretty active one. Hey, look out, it's falling out of the bag. Uh, here, here, let me see that. Uh, now I've got him. Uh, oh, Miss Brooks, do you realize what you've got here? Sure, an F-R-O-G. I didn't want to mention it in front of Mac until we got home. Oh, but this I... is a male frog. You, you can always tell. Because in the species Dimorphognathus from West Africa, there's a very apparent dimorphism in the dentition. The male's being provided with a series of large serrated teeth in the lower jaw, which in the female is edentulous. Well, slap me with a wet lily pad. <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. Boynton, I've got to be running along now. Oh, why, Miss Brooks? I've got to see a boy about a frog. Well, here, here, I'll put it back in the bag for you. Now, just hold the top tighter and he won't get away again. I still don't comprehend why you got this male frog. Well, I didn't know how you and McDougal would react to the idea of keeping Millie company, so I thought I'd play safe and get this one, too. <coughs> oh, I don't think Mac likes the idea very much. Don't be jealous, Mac. Let him live his own life. <laughs> We'd better not come over this afternoon, Miss Brooks. I'm afraid it'd only confuse Mac. Look, Mr. Boynton, I don't care if a frog wants to play hard to get but there's something I'd like you to remember. Well, what's that, Miss Brooks? Well, I don't want to sound too much like an English teacher, but when one plays hard to get too often, one sometimes don't get got. <laughs> now, I'll just take this frog into my room and see how Walter happened to make such well, an awful... Well, there you are, Connie. I've been looking all over for you. Mrs. Davis, what are you doing in the hallowed halls of Madison High? Well, I know how you've been waiting for a Valentine card from Mr. Boynton, and I just had to tell you that all hope isn't lost. But today is Friday, Mrs. Davis. That's just it, Connie. Some mail came this morning that should have been delivered Monday. A Valentine? No, a bill from the gas company. <laughs> now, that's the nicest bit of sentiment since Sam Scissors. <laughs> they say that if we don't pay it immediately, they'll shut off the gas. Just my luck with Mr. Boynton coming over for tea. It couldn't be the electric company promising to shut off all the lights. No, Connie. <laughs> 
and I'm sure it's some money or I wouldn't bother you in school like this. You know, Minerva cost me a lot lately with her special diet and all. Just how much do you need, Mrs. Davis? Well, if you'll forgive a slang expression, one greenback will do it. I just happen to have one on me. He's in this bag here. <laughs> now, don't look so alarmed, Mrs. Davis. I'm not cracking up completely. Look, just take this frog back to Peterson's Pet Shop and they'll refund my dollar. I'll explain why I bought the frog later. You don't have to explain anything to me, Connie. If you want a frog for a pet, it's perfectly all right. But why are you giving it back? To keep the gas on, for one thing. <laughs> Besides, it's a male frog, and I've got to have a female. Well, you don't have to spend any money for that. I'll get you a female frog in the park. I never thought of that. I'd certainly appreciate it, Mrs. Davis. Will you bring it back with you after you've paid the gas bill? Certainly, Connie. And I just know that you'll be very happy together. <laughs> And so, class, you are to have these compositions ready by next Tuesday. That's the end of the period. Class dismissed, except Walter Denton. Come up to my desk, Walter. Oh, I'm glad you asked me, Miss Brooks. I wanted to explain about that frog. You see, Mr. Peterson was out to lunch when I got to the pet shop, so I got you one out of the park pond. Was it all right? I mean, was she a girl? No, Walter. She was a boy with big serrated teeth in her lower jaw. And what about the dollar I gave you? Oh, here it is, Miss Brooks. <laughs> I didn't have time to give it to you before. Thanks, Walter. That'll be all for now, then. I'd better get over to Mr. Conklin's office and make my payment on that heater. Well, here I am, Connie. Hello, Walter. Hello, Mrs. Davis. Goodbye, Mrs. Davis. Well, what do you think, Connie? Mr. Peterson didn't sell Walter that frog at all. I know, Mrs. Davis. But he said it was a very good specimen and traded me a lovely female for him. And instead of giving us any money, he promised that when our frog becomes a husband, we'll get the pick of the litter. <laughs> I can hardly wait, but where's the female frog? Oh, I had that in a paper bag, and it seemed very insecure, so I put the frog in a desk across the hall. Nobody saw me. Across the hall? But that's Mr. Conklin's office. Mrs. Davis, you wait right here, and if I'm not back in five minutes, call the coroner. <laughs> Now, what is it? Come in. Oh, it's you, Miss Brooks. Please transact whatever business you have in this office in a hurry. I've got an appointment with the doctor. The doctor? What's the matter, Mr. Conklin? Oh, just a checkup. A lot of nonsense, if you ask me. My wife's been telling him all sorts of foolishness about the state of my nerves. To hear her tell it, I've not only got the world's highest blood pressure, but I'm jumpy, anxious, overwrought, but irritable. Mr. Conklin... Don't interrupt! <laughs> And I'm ill-tempered. <laughs> now, what is it you want? I just want to give you a dollar towards the heater I accidentally injured. Here. Oh, thanks. Well, sit down for a minute, and I'll give you a receipt. I've got a regular Board of Education receipt book around here somewhere. But, Mr. Conklin, your desk drawer... Please, Miss Brooks. <laughs> Don't tell me where I keep my things. Of course it's in the desk drawer. Let's see now. Book should be right over here next to this blotter. Oh, that's funny. Oh, here it is over by this frog. <laughs> Hello, little frog. Miss <laughs> Brooks, it won't take a moment to get the receipt. Hello, little frog! Miss <laughs> <laughs> Brooks, where did this monstrous... Do you know anything about this horrible green? How did this Please, 
up and remember the world's highest blood pressure. Never mind that. What is this frog doing in my desk? Calm down, Mr. Conklin. Ours isn't the only school that's overcrowded. <laughs> I thought you'd never get home from school, Connie. How long did Mr. Conklin spend bowling you out? Oh, it seemed like hours, but actually it was only a few minutes. You should have been there when Mr. Conklin and Millie here faced each other across his desk drawer. Poor thing, her heart hasn't stopped beating yet. Neither is yours, Connie. You're as jumpy as Minerva. Are you sure Mr. Boynton said he'd be over for tea? Oh, definitely, Mrs. Davis. I told him all about how lonely Minerva was and compared her to McDougal. So he's bringing Mac over to meet Millie. It's the first time in weeks we've had a date away from the zoo. Oh. Well, that's Mr. Boynton now. I'll go make the tea, Connie, and you receive him alone. All right, Mrs. Davis, coming. Well, it's nice to see you boys. Come in. Let's go into the living room. Oh, thank you, Miss Brooks. Uh, here's something for Millie. It's from McDougal. Oh, I'll open it for her. Well, wasn't that thoughtful of Mac, Millie? Just what you needed, the clump of wilted lettuce. Here, I'll put it in this little box I keep her in. Oh, I guess Mac wants to see what Millie looks like. Oh, of course. Here, just hold him up. There we are. This is Mac, Millie. I think she likes him. But Miss Brooks, didn't you say you had a cat on the premises? That's right, Minerva. She usually sleeps in the piano during the day. Here, Minerva, come out of the piano. Oh, well, she'll probably wake up in a little while. Sit down, Mr. Boynton. Oh, before I do, don't you want to open this big box? For me? Well, what in the world can this be? Yeah! It's a cat, Miss Brooks. I brought him over to keep Minerva company. Yeah! Oh! Well, here comes Minerva now. Yeah! Miss Brooks, where are you going? You know where I'm going. I'll meet you by the third monkey from the left. Steve Arden, as our Miss Brooks returns in just a moment, but first. Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. Tonight, show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a luster cream shampoo. Only luster cream brings you K. Dumas' magic formula blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Gives loveliness lather even in hardest water. Glamorizes your hair as you wash it. Luster cream, not a soap, not a liquid, but a dainty cream shampoo. Leaves hair fragrantly clean, free of loose dandruff, glistening with sheen, soft, manageable. Gives new beauty to all hairdos or permanents. Four-ounce jar, one dollar. Smaller sizes, either tubes or jars. Tonight, try Luster Cream Shampoo and be a... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful Luster Cream girl. You owe your crowning glory to... A luster cream shampoo. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, Mr. Boynton finally took McDougal and his cat and left. Mrs. Davis and I had dinner, and then we sat down in the living room to spend a quiet evening. 
Minerva went back to sleep, and everything was nice and peaceful when the phone rang. Lie down, Minerva. It's not for you. <laughs> Hello? Hello? Yeah! Oh, I'm sorry, Minerva. It is for you. <laughs> Next week, tune in to another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Parmalee Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, caressable hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Here's good shaving news. Three men out of every four can get more comfortable, actually smoother shaves with Palmolive Brushless Shaving Cream. This is not just a claim. Here's the proof. 1,297 men tried the Palmolive brushless way to shave described on the tube. And no matter how they shaved before, three men out of every four got more comfortable, actually smoother shaves. Try Palmolive brushless yourself. See if you don't get more comfortable, actually smoother shaves the proved Palmolive brushless way. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North. The exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evenings over most of these stations. And be with us again next week at this time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. does a battle sound like? A battle in war? Well, of course, nowadays, a battle has all the sounds of guns and bombs and landmines and explosives of every kind. But once upon a time... No guns. Just the sound of men fighting hand to hand. They use spears and swords, and sometimes they use fists. But that was all. You'd think a man would have to be big and strong to fight a battle, wouldn't you? Well, you're going to hear a story now about one warrior who wasn't very big at all. In fact, was scarcely a man, but still a young boy. And yet, when he finally got the chance, he proved he was as good as any man. This is the story of David and Goliath, and it takes place long ago, during the time the Israelites, the children of God, were having trouble with the Philistines. We'll let David tell the story himself. For a long time, my people, the Israelites, were at war with the Philistines. In my home, many times, I heard my father say, Go, my son, and fight for our people and for our king. And then one of my brothers would go, and the rest of us would remain behind. Then, later, my father would call another one of my brothers aside and say, Go, my son, and fight for King Saul and for our people. And each time that happened, I hoped that my turn would come next. But I guess I should have known better. Finally, all my brothers had gone off to war, and I didn't feel too happy about it at all. What's the matter, David? The Philistine armies are camped at Choco. I know that. And I'm here. What do you mean? Well, I mean, I should be off there with all my brothers. Oh, is that it? Well, now, David, put it out of your mind. 
I need you here to tend our sheep. King Saul and his army need me. <laughs> what are you laughing at? I'm sorry, David, my boy. I didn't mean to laugh. But you are too young, you know. Too young to fight in God's own army? Yes. Too young and too small. Father, why don't you let King Saul be the judge of that? Why don't you let me go and offer to fight for him? If he says I'm too young, why then... No! No! I'm trying to have patience with you. But I'm sick of your asking all the time to go off to war. You get out in the fields and tend the sheep. And let me hear no more about war. One of the Lord's commandments is honor thy father and thy mother. So I didn't argue any longer. I went out into the fields and tended the sheep. But sitting on a hillock with a blade of grass in my mouth and my shepherd's crook in my hand, I still dreamed of being a soldier. I would have been even more anxious to be a soldier if I'd known what was going on in the camp of the enemy, the Philistines. <laughs> What's so funny, Goliath? <laughs> the Israelites, Captain. I'm glad you find the enemy funny. <laughs> There they are, camped over there, and here we are, camped over here. And you'd think the way everyone is bustling about, shining up his sword, that there was going to be an even battle. Isn't there? <laughs> well, look at me. Look. What do you see? Well, I... I see a giant. Have you ever seen anyone taller? No. Give me your sword, my captain. Here. No, it's in two pieces. Did you ever see anyone stronger? No. Can anyone in this army beat me? No. Can anyone in the Israelites' army beat me? No. <laughs> then, my captain, why don't I win the battle single-handed? Why don't I go out there on the field between the two armies and challenge their champion? Well, uh... It's been done before. The two champions come together and fight. Nobody else has to be hurt. And the winner wins for his whole army. Goliath, this may be an excellent idea. Let's go to the king with it. And a short time later in the other camp, the camp of the Israelites. My own brother, Eliab, was speaking with King Saul. The men are ready, Your Majesty. You mean their swords are polished? Their armor is ready? Why, yes, sir. Are their hearts ready? I don't know what you mean, sir. The men know that there are more Philistines than Israelites, don't they? Yes, sir. Then aren't they afraid that we won't win? Well, they... How about you, Eliab? I'm afraid of it. Yes, sir. I thought so. You see, I'm afraid of it myself a little. I've been wondering. Sometimes two armies send their champions against each other. You've heard of that? Why, yes, sir. Two men fight, and the winner wins for his whole army. Yes. Now, if we can get the Philistines to agree to that, it may be the only way out for us. Have we a strong, stout, fearless lad? Israelites! Who can... King Saul! All of you over there! What's that? Look! 
There in the field between the two armies. It's a giant. Listen to me. My name is Goliath of Gath, a Philistine. Choose a man and let him come down to me. If he will fight with me and kill me, then the Philistines will be your servants. Wait! Wait! But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Well, what do you have to say, Israelites? You, Goliath! Is it King Saul calling? Yes. We've heard what you said. We will think about it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, the idea I had is not very good. We certainly don't have any champion who can beat Goliath. <laughs> And all this time, I was tending the sheep at home. But at noontime one day, my father came to me. David, my son. Yes, father. What, what are you carrying? Food. Well, here, here, let me take it. Well, that's a great deal more food than you and I need. Yes. You're going to get your wish. You're going to go to the camp where your brothers are. I am? Only on an errand. Take this food to them. I have here a great quantity of parched corn and ten loaves of bread and some cheese. Will I leave right away? Yes. I'll tend the sheep while you're gone. You see, I am worried about your brothers. I'm afraid that they and their companions may be hungry. The fathers of other soldiers are sending food, too. Oh, I'm glad. Find out how your brothers are, David. I'm anxious about them. God go with you, my son. Really, I should not have run as fast as I did, especially when I was carrying such a heavy load of food. But I was filled with the idea that at last I would see an army encampment, that I would mingle with the soldiers, that I would see my brothers. And so I hurried. And when I got to a hill overlooking the two armies, there they were in the midst of battle. From where I stood on the hill, I could see that there were many more Philistines than Israelites. And for the first time, I felt afraid that we would lose to the enemy. I ran down the hill as the armies drew apart, and I ran through the ranks of our soldiers until I found my brother Eliab. David! David! Eliab! My little brother! Eliab! This is no place for a young boy like you. Did our father send you? Yes, but only with food, not to fight. Oh, I'm relieved. Eliab? Yes, little David? How is the fighting going? Well, we... Our men are brave. But we're losing, aren't we? We... Perhaps we won't. Perhaps a miracle will happen. Men of Israel! You, King Saul, you, soldiers of Israel! Eliab, that man is a giant. Yes, I know. It is I, Goliath of Gath again. Well, have you chosen your champion? Who will fight me? What's he talking about? He wants one of us to fight him. And the winner will win for his whole army. Well, that's a wonderful opportunity, Eliab. Well, I don't see an Israelite champion coming forth to meet me. <laughs> How I wish we had someone who could beat him. I can beat him. 
Oh, stop talking nonsense, David. If somebody beat that Goliath and killed him, he'd be richly rewarded, wouldn't he? Why, of course. The king would make him rich and he'd marry the king's daughter if he wanted. But nobody can beat Goliath. Well, who is Goliath? Who is this Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I can beat him. Now, why did you come here? Who is tending the sheep back home? Really, you shouldn't have come. You came just to see the battle. I know what you're like, David. What have I done? Isn't there a great cause here? There is indeed, young man. Eliab, who is this boy? My brother, David, Your Majesty. Your brother, David. David, I heard you say you could beat Goliath. I can, sir. I am your servant, and I will go and fight him. Quiet, David. You are too young to fight anyone. You can't fight Goliath. You're just a child, and he's been a man of war from his earliest youth. Your Majesty, once I was tending my father's sheep, and a lion and a bear came and dragged a lamb out of the flock, and I went after them and hit them until the lamb went free. And then I killed both the lion and the bear, and this Philistine Goliath will be like one of them. He has defied the armies of the living God. And I will beat him. Don't be foolish, David. He's a giant. The Lord that saved me from the lion's paw and the bear's paw will save me from the hand of Goliath. Young man, I think I'll let you go to meet Goliath. And the Lord be with you. Thank you, sir. You may have my armor and my sword. No, no thank you, sir. I've not proved myself with sword and armor. All I'll need is my sling here and five large smooth stones from the brook. I'll go and fetch them. No, David! No, come back! You'll be killed! Let him go! Let the boy go! And when I had got the stones from the brook, I was about to start toward the field between the two armies, when once again, I heard the voice of Goliath. Israelites, send me your champion! I'm coming, Goliath! Who's speaking? You! A child? Is there not a man brave enough to face me in battle? What's the matter, Israelites? Must you send a boy to protect you? <laughs> All right. Come on, boy. Come on, if you dare. I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. <laughs> You're coming at me with a sword, Goliath, and a spear and a shield. But I come at you in the name of the God of the armies of Israel, and I'll knock you down and kill you. And then everyone here shall know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. On guard, I'm coming. <laughs> He began running toward me, and I could hear the armies on both sides shouting. And I walked quietly toward him, and as he raised his spear... Look out, David! I put one of the stones in my sling. And suddenly there was silence. And I slung the stone from my sling. <laughs> he went down but got up again and once again raised his spear and I slung another stone. Oh! I did not get up this time. When I went to him and examined him, I turned and I called out the good news. Goliath is dead! I had beaten the giant Goliath 
the Lord had stayed with me and guided my hand. And now the armies of the Lord were saved. David was not afraid because he had faith in the Lord. And so he beat the giant. It's an exciting story. But it's a story that tells us how wise it is to have faith in God and to fight on the side of right. This wonderful story is in the first book of Samuel, in your Bible. territory on west, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun Smoke, starring William Conrad. The transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Cleanliness is next to godliness, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, I know, I know, Chester, but all you're doing is getting it off the floor into the air. Man can hardly breathe in here. All right, Mr. Dillon. I'll do my sweeping later. Yeah, good. My mother taught me that, Mr. Dillon. Taught you what, Chester? That cleanliness is next to godliness. She was a fine woman, too. Oh, look, Chester, it's a good saying, and it's probably true, and I got nothing against your mother except that she also should have taught you how to sweep. Well, maybe she just didn't have the time, Mr. Dillon. You see, there was an awful lot of us, and what with chores and... Oh, hello, Doc. Uh, come on, uh, I'll buy you a drink. Uh, What? Doc said he'd buy you a drink, Mr. Dillon. He really said that? You coming? Doc, you got to quit throwing your money around the way you do. Uh, maybe you don't need it. No, wait a minute, Doc. I'm with you. Uh, I'll tell you all about it when I get back, Chester. I'd be mighty interested, Mr. Dillon. Oh, sure be glad when it gets winter again. Why, Doc? You'll just complain about the cold, huh? Oh, I suppose... You go sit with Kitty, Matt. I'll bring a bottle of Irish. Okay, Doc. Hello, Kitty. Hello, Matt. What are you and Doc up to? Hey, he wants someone to talk to, so he picked me. And you. Fine. I'm a good listener. 
Lots of practice. <laughs> you like Jameson's, don't you, Kitty? Sure, Doc. What are we celebrating? Uh, let's see here. We'll drink to a fellow that you don't know. Uh-huh. Kane Vestal. Well, here's to him. Yeah. Here's to him. Yes, he'll be dead in a couple of months. What? That's what I told him. What do you mean, Doc? Well, I'm not the only one who's told him that. I'm just the last. Well, who is this Kane Vestal, Doc? Oh, it's just a fella came in on the train last night, leaving for Arizona tomorrow. Huh? That's where he's going to die, in Arizona. He's a musician. He plays the guitar, he tells me. Well, how's he going to die? Consumption. He's got it bad. I'm the last doctor he's going to ask about it, he says. Oh, poor fella. Yes, climb it out there, keep him going for a little while longer. Oh, I don't know. He's... He's such a sad man for some reason. Well, who wouldn't be, Doc? No, 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 Kitty. I think kane has been sad for a long, long time. He's a very nice fellow, too. Nothing can help him, huh? No, nothing. You know, it's a funny thing, Doc. I'm just sitting here thinking. Sometimes you have to tell men they're going to die. Sometimes I have to. Yeah, that's right, man. Oh, let's see. Uh, there is. See that fellow with the car there? He just came in. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he knows anyone around here. You mind if I ask him over? Well, sure. Your party, Doc. Oh, good. Uh, uh, Kane? Uh, Kane? Uh, over here? Yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, sit down. Sit down. Kane, this is Kitty. Hello, Kane. This is, <laughs> this is Marshal Dillon. Hello, Marshal. Pleasure to meet you. <laughs> there we are. Have a drink. Oh, thank you, Doc. Uh, is your first trip west, Kane? Yes, Marshal, it is. Well, where are you from? Why, no place in particular, Miss Kitty. I seem to spend most of my life on the Mississippi River. I I thought you were a musician. I am. I was hired to ride the river boats and play my guitar for the passengers. (laughs) Well, at least you've had a constant change of scenery. (laughs) (laughs) After 20 years of going up and down that river, it got pretty familiar, Marshal. Well, Kane, I knew a young fellow back in St. Louis before the war, and he was learning to be a river pilot. (laughs) Say, I wonder if you ever ran into him, name of Clemens, Sam Crevins. No, Doc, I don't believe I did. Oh, he was a very amusing fella. He was just chock full of stories. Um, you leaving Dodge tomorrow, King? I'm headed for Arizona, Miss Kitty. No reflection on Dodge, though. <laughs> uh, if you hit a place out there called Tombstone, I wish you'd look up Virgil Earp for me. Tell him I sent you, huh? Thanks, Marshal. I'll do that. Say, Kane, I wonder, uh, could I ask you a favor? Well, certainly, Miss Kitty, anything at all. Well, would you play something for us? I had an idea that's what it would be. <laughs> anything in particular? Oh, play something you like, Kane. Another girl I knew used to like this one.
Oh, say, that was a Thank you, Miss Kitty. I wish you were going to stay here a while. Maybe you could teach me to play like that, huh? It'd be a pleasure, Miss Kitty. But I'm afraid I won't be around for long. It's uh, noon, Chester. Yes, sir, I know, but you went off with Doc yesterday, so I figured I had a little time coming today. Well, that depends on how you spent it. Now, if you've been gambling, I... am Now, Mr. Dillon, you know I never gamble. (laughs) (laughs) No, sir. I I I was out helping a fellow learn to shoot a six-gun, that's all. Now? You mean there's a man in Dodge who doesn't know how? This fellow don't. Never had one in his hand before. He's a musician. What? Plays the guitar, he told me. You mean Kane? Uh, Kane Vestal? Yes, sir, that's his name. Nice a fellow as you'd ever want to meet. Yeah. But he was supposed to leave on the stage this morning. And what's he done with his six-gun anyway? Well, I don't know, Mr. Dillon. He just come by here early this morning and asked me if I'd teach him. Yeah. Now, where'd he get the gun? Said he'd just bought it. Anything wrong, Mr. Dillon? No, no. It just doesn't add up somehow, that's all. Well, he won't cause any trouble. He's... Not the sort. You never know, Chester. Mm, no, sir. My kitty looks pretty this morning. She's got a yellow parasol, Mr. Dillon. Kitty? All right, I think I'll go see her for a minute. Uh, I'll be right back, Chester. Yes, sir, Mr. Dillon. Kitty? Uh, hello, Matt. <laughs> Kitty, I'd like to talk to you for a minute. Oh, sure. What is it? Uh, I'm curious about something, Kitty. Maybe you can help me. Maybe. How long was Kane Vessel with you yesterday? Kane? Oh, well, he didn't leave till evening. Why? Well, he didn't go out on the stage this morning, and he's bought himself a six-gun. You, you any idea why? A gun? Uh-huh. Doesn't sound like Kane. Anything happened yesterday, Kitty, or did he tell you anything? Oh, well, yeah, might... there was one thing, Matt. Joel Adams and a couple of his men came in. Yeah? Kane got pretty upset when he saw him had a bad coughing spell. Oh? Later, he asked a lot of questions about Adams. Well, what'd you tell him? Just that Adams is a big landowner around here, that nobody who isn't working for him likes him very much. That's all I know, anyway. Yeah. Uh, they didn't talk, Adams and Kane. No. I don't think they even know each other. Well, anyway, he sure isn't the sort to be packing a gun. Well, you'll just get into trouble, Matt. Yeah. Uh, where's he staying, did he say? Dodge House, I think. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Kitty. I'll see you later. Kane. 
Uh, Marshal Dillon. Come in, come in. Ah, thank you. <clears throat> what can I do for you, Marshal? I, uh, I thought you were leaving Dodge on the stage this morning. Well, I was, Marshal, but I changed my mind. You know how it is. Sure, Kate, sure. Now, we're glad to have you around. I, uh, I'm just curious, though. Your, uh, stay and have anything to do with that gun you bought this morning? Oh, Chester told you. I thought he would. He's a good teacher, Marshal. <laughs> yeah. But that doesn't answer my question. Do I have to answer it? I'm just trying to help you, that's all. Yeah, I, I appreciate that, Marshal, but I'm afraid there's nothing you can do. Look, Kane, you're new in this country. A man like you just can't pick up a six-gun and call himself a fighting man. Not and expect to live through it. I certainly lay no claim to be a fighting man. Then why did you buy that gun? There's no law out here against a man having a gun, is there, Marshal? No. But any man who carries one is expected to use it when the time comes. You'd be a lot safer without one. Being safe doesn't mean a whole lot to me, Marshal. Not now. Yeah, I, I know. Doc told me. What's it all about? It's a long story. And an old one, I suppose. I'd really rather not talk about it. I can't force you to. But but tell me this. Does it have anything to do with Joel Adams? Yes, it does, Marshal. I'm going to kill him. When? I don't know. Anytime. Well, why? That's a long story, I mentioned. All right, Kane. But if you try to face him, he'll kill you before you got that gun halfway out of your belt. And if you shoot him any other way, you'll hang for it. You've forgotten something, Marshal. What? No matter what I do, I'm going to die soon anyway. A month or two isn't going to make any difference. You hate Adams that much? I wouldn't kill a man I didn't hate, would I? I didn't think you were the sort of man who'd kill anyone. Only Joel Adams, Marshal. Then I gotta warn him about you. Well, I understand, Marshal. It's all right. He doesn't know me anyway. Never even saw me before. But you want to kill him? Yes, sir. Well, I'll take your gun away from you, but you'll just find another one. And I can't arrest you unless I catch you trying to bushwhack him. Well, I'm sorry for the trouble I'm causing you, Marshal. You know, I've never had to deal with a man like you before, King. Maybe I ought to just tie you up and throw you on that stage. You could. But I'd just come right back. <laughs> I guess you would. I'm sorry this has to happen here in Dodge, Marshal. Then why don't you leave? I guess I hate Joel Adams too much. All right, Kane. I'm through trying to convince you. So long. Goodbye, Marshal. Kane 
Vestal Marshall. I never saw him before last night. You must have known him somewhere, Adams. You're trying to make me out a liar, Marshal. I'm trying to save Kane's life and yours, maybe. No, he ain't gonna shoot me. I'll kill him first time he looks sideways. Maybe you won't see him. Oh, shoot me in the back, eh? Well, in that case, it... In that case, what? Why, nothing, Dylan, nothing. Forget it. If Kane shot in the back, you'll be the first man I take in, Adams. I don't even know him. Why should I shoot him? I'm only warning you. Well, just leave me be, Marshal. I can take care of myself. See that you do, Adams, and only yourself. Why, sure, Marshal. Only I don't much like the idea of some stranger gunning for me. Makes me sort of uneasy. There must be some reason for it. Don't start it again, Marshal. Ain't no reason. I know. You've led a blameless life. You never hurt anyone. I told you twice. There are men around here who'd shoot you on sight if they thought they could get by with it. I don't think you were ever any good, Adam, so don't tell me Kane's got no reason. I don't You're believe it. You're pushing me now, I'm Marshal. tired of your talk, that's all. Maybe it's true you don't know him, but he sure knows something about you. Well, then he'll wish you didn't. That's all I got to say. Well, just keep out of his way. Give it a little time, and maybe there won't be any killing at all. Why, sure, sure. All the time in the world. All right, Adams. I've done all I can. Just don't worry about me. I'm not. Then goodbye, Marshal. Goodbye. We will return for the second act of Gunsmoke in just a moment. But first... Back tomorrow night. Pull up your chair, or better still, roll back your rug. It's the Vaughn Monroe Show returning to the star's address. Listen for Vaughn, the Moon Maids, the Moon Men, and their wonderful way with popular music and songs. Once again at their old familiar Saturday night time on CBS Radio. Remember, they're coming back tomorrow night. You and the whole family are invited to this season's scintillating premiere of the Vaughn Monroe Show on most of these same stations. Now, the second act of Gunsmoke. Sure is quiet around town tonight, Mr. Dillon. There's a trail herd doing in a couple of days. I suppose business will pick up then. Mm. You'd think those cowboys be too tuckered out after a ride like that to have any juice left in them at all, Mr. Dillon. <laughs> yeah, they're too poor to cut loose any other time. Well, that don't stop them down in Texas, Mr. Dillon. No? No. It's just like an uncle of mine back in Waco. He was poor. Oh, he was mean poor. But he always said the only good money was was to have fun with. Oh, did he have fun? But, no, sir. He was too poor, like I said. <laughs> All right, Chester. All right. All I ask is that you don't try to explain it to me. Well, but there's nothing to explain, Mr. Dillon. It's just, uh, it's just that he was the Chester. one poorest Chester. man you'd ever... Uh, Marshal, say, you want to talk to Kane Vestal? What? Uh, Kane is upstairs in my office. He been shot? No, no, not shot. Beat up. Well, how is he, Doc? Well, he's not too bad. A couple of cowboys found him just outside of town. 
they heard a shot and said two men rode off before they could stop them. Yeah. And I guess who, whoever it was, they didn't have time to finish the job. They just got started working on it. So Adams made the first move, huh? Uh, I'll be back soon, Chester. Yes, sir, Mr. Dillon. They hit him on the head with a gun butt and scratched him up some. Outside of that, he's fine. It's still a saw, even if they didn't kill him, Doc. Yeah, I suppose it is. Anyway, they took a shot at him when they heard those riders coming along. Went right through his coat. Yeah. They probably think he's dead. So that's where you went, Doc. I might have known. Didn't even give you a chance to use that gun, did he, Kane? I didn't have a gun on me, Marshal, but it wasn't he. It was they. Huh? Did you recognize them? Well, I don't know many people around here. You know Joel Adams, so you told me. It wasn't Adam. Could you pick him out if you saw him again? No, Mar- Marshal, I don't believe I could. Where were you when they grabbed you, Kane? Into Front Street. I was taking a walk after supper. They rode up behind me, one on each side, lifted me up, and mm-hmm. carried me out of town a ways. You must have got a good look at them, at least when they got off their horses. Well, it was too dark, Marshal. Yeah. Doc, how long has he been here? Oh, about half an hour, Marshal. Those cowboys who saw you came, they brought you right in here, didn't they? Yes. So it was maybe an hour ago when those two men hauled you out of town? It was plenty light enough then. Was it, Marshal? You're going to fight it yourself, aren't you? Yes, Marshal. It... <laughs> it's my affair. It was, Kane, but you've been assaulted and shot at, so it's the law's business now. I won't prefer any charges, Marshal. You don't have to. I've seen you, and I know who did it or who hired it done as well as you do. Please, Marshal. i got to handle this my own way. There's a law that says you can't murder a man, Kane, and the same law says he can't murder you. Are you so full of hate you can't get that through your head? I guess that's it, Marshal. All right, Kane. You do what you have to do. So will I. It's late, Dylan. Can't you see me tomorrow? It's not even midnight. That's early for you. <laughs> you see how this marshal's always trying to get me on the prod, boys? These boys of yours play pretty rough themselves, Adams. Meaning? Didn't they tell you? Tell me what? What they did to Kane Vestal? They did not kill Kane Vestal, and you can't prove it. No, Adams, I can't. Kane isn't even dead. What? You know, I'm curious, Adams. Why'd you think he might be? Why, why, somebody said he got himself hurt. Joel Adams. You arranged this, Marshal? You know I didn't. Who is he? What does he want? Hello, Joel Adams. Don't strain yourself so you don't know me. Who are you? Kane Vestal. But my name doesn't matter. What are you haunting me for? I never saw you before in my life. That's true. You didn't. 
But we had a friend in common once. A friend? Who? Julie Travis. What about Julie? You were a riverboat gambler then, Adams, and you had money and fine clothes and a way with women, especially young girls. Julie was only 16 at the time. Never mind all that. So she went away with you to be married, you told her. Oh. (laughs) I think I guessed the rest. You wanted to marry her, but I got her instead. Is that it? That's it, Adams. (laughs) That's exactly it. Oh, now I thought you really had something on your mind, Vestal. Well, all right, why don't you get out of here and quit bothering people while you can still walk? Julie killed herself, Adam. She committed suicide. What? You didn't know that, did you? Well, it's got nothing to do with me. Because you never married her after all. It was just a year after you abandoned her in New Orleans. I think it has a lot to do with you, Joel Adams. What are your plans, mister? I see you got a gun in your belt. Gonna kill you. Or so? When? Now. Right now. All right, Vestal, draw. Leave the gun where it is, Kane. One thing I always promised myself, Adams. Someday I'd spit in your face. <laughs> Why, you... <laughs> dead. Well, he was going to kill me. You heard him. He wanted you dead, Adams, any way he could manage. I know it. That's what I say. You're under arrest for murder. For... What? It was a gunfight. He never even moved for his gun. Well, then I'll hang for this. He couldn't have got me any other way. No, don't suppose he could have. I remember the river gamblers used to say... Don't matter how you win, so long as you win. That Kane should have been a gambler. Maybe he was. Come on, let's go. Gunsmoke, transcribed under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was especially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Harry Bartell with Georgia Ellis and Larry Dobkin. Parley Bayer is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc. Clancy Cassell speaking. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, Fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Both back this Sunday night. Edgar Bergen and Company and Eve Arden is our Miss Brooks. Yes, it's the Bergen and McCarthy Show with Mortimer Snurd, Podine Puffington, Effie Klinker, Ray Noble's Orchestra and guest stars. Back Sunday nights at the Star's Address starting this weekend. Returning the same night is our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden as an English teacher ever seeking her special degree in romance. 
for comedy galore. Enjoy Bergen and McCarthy and our Miss Brooks on most of these same stations. Back this Sunday night, presented by CBS Radio. This is Amos, but my real name is Freeman Gosden. I urge you to vote. And as Amos would say, follow the election returns on the CBS Radio Network. up a copy of Conflict with Shadows today from your favorite online bookstore. The King of the Cowboys, Roy Rogers, brought to you by Quaker Oats, the giant of the cereals. The giant of the cereals is Quaker Oats. The giant of the cereals is Quaker Oats. Delicious, nutritious, make you feel ambitious. The giant of the cereals is Quaker Oats. Out of the West and into your home, riding the range of mystery and adventure, blazing the trail of Western story and song, Boy Willing and the Riders of the Purple Sage, that teller of tall tales, Gabby Hayes, the Queen of the West, Dale Evans, and in person, the King of the Cowboys himself, Roy Rogers. Well, howdy, folks. This is Roy Rogers. If you buckaroos like excitement... You've come to the right place to get it, because something mighty exciting happened down our way, and we're going to tell you about it right now. My good old pal Gabby Hayes will start the telling, won't you, Pappy? Sure will, son. Buckaroos, get you some bare grease and plaster down your hair right now, because if you don't, it'll be standing on end before we finish this story. We call it Ghost Town Men. I guess you know about that there ghost town near Paradise Valley. It was a mining community once, but when the mines played out, everybody moved away, and now nothing is there, except a few weather-beaten buildings standing around. Well, a couple days ago, my pal Roy and me rode into Mineral City and wanted to buy some supplies for Roy's Double R Bar Ranch. Hoo, hoo, easy, Trigger. Happy we'll tie up here. You start buying the supplies while I hump the sheriff. You better let me see to the sheriff, son. I know how to handle matters of law. All I want done is a report made that somebody stole a yearling from our herd and left the money out on the porch to pay for it. Yes, the same. Now, wait a minute. And when it comes to buying supplies, well, you're such a sharp bargainer, nobody dare cheat you. <coughs> yeah, yeah, of course. You're right, son. I'd I, I better buy the supplies. You see, I'm real cagey, and you get trimmed down like a 25-cent haircut. Howdy, Roy, Daddy. Hi, Dale. Hey, why didn't you say you were coming to town this morning, Dale? Well, I might as well have stayed home for all the good it's done me. I'll go start dickering, son. Right, Pappy. Uh, what do you mean, Dale? 
Well, I came in with one of my riders, Steve Hamilton, to get some groceries for the Circle E, but the general store doesn't seem to have any. No groceries? How come? Somebody broke into the store last night, took half the merchandise, and left money to pay for it on the counter. Left money? Yes, sir. Dale, that's the third time something like this has happened in Paradise Valley. Miss Dale! Miss Dale! Drop your eyes and turn your back. Gabby! What's the matter? Steve Hamilton's coming down the street dressed in a molasses barrel and waving a $20 bill in his teeth. He's what? Well, now calm down. He got almost to the blacksmith and somebody yanked him from his horse, pulled off his shirt and Levi's and his boots and hat, and then gave him a $20 bill and rode off. Mr. Hawkins, he supplied the molasses barrel. Now, why would anyone do such a thing to Steve? Dale, some dude may think he's having a lot of fun taking our cattle and groceries and ripping the clothes off the men. Farmer. But it's no fun for us, and we'd better put a stop to the whole thing right now. Steve's walking. He's holding the sticky molasses barrel up with one hand and leading his horse with a tuller. Gabby, bring him around to the back entrance of the dry goods store. Dale and I will meet him there with some new clothes. Sure thing, Roy. We'll find out what these hombres look like and ride out after them. This business has gone past funny stage. The odd part is, I didn't see the men, Roy. Well, you must have, Steve. But if they jumped... I was headed to the blacksmith shop, walking my horse, because he'd thrown a shoe, when an old man stopped me to ask if I knew where I could buy a good second-hand watch. Uh, a real old fella? Yeah. And while I was trying to answer him, somebody slipped up from behind, pulled me off my horse, slapped a blindfold on me, and took my clothes. You didn't see him at all? There were two of them. And I think I'd recognize their voices, but well, I don't know anything more. Two besides the old man? Yeah. Uh, what was the old fellow like, Steve? Oh, I guess he could be called a, a desert rat getter. Uh-huh. Steve, you go ahead and get your horse shot. We'll circle around a little and see if we can't pick up that trail of those hombres. All right, Roy. If you need help, call me. Come on, Gabby. Dale, we'll stop over at the sheriff's office first thing and report this to him. Uh, just a second, son. What's the trouble? Well, you, uh, aiming to track down the old fellow, too? The old fellow could be working in cahoots with the others, Roy. Yeah, I suppose. Hey, what made you ask about him, Gabby? Well, uh, Dale... I, I got to tell you and Roy something confidential. You can trust me, Gabby. Well, you know how every family's got one member who don't turn out just right? Sort of a wild hair? Sure. One of my family. Cousin. Clackety. Clackety Hayes. Now, wait a minute, Gabby. What are you talking about? I'm making a confession, you young whippersnapper. snapper. <laughs> Like it, he's been living out there in that ghost town near Bocanera for seven, eight years. He's a desert rat. Son, I hope you ain't going to throw me off the place because I'm kinfolk to Clackety. You, you and me, Zorro. When I throw you off of the place, Pappy, I'll throw myself off, too. Roy, instead of reporting this to the sheriff, why don't we ride out to the ghost town first and have a talk with Clackety? I'm for that, Dale. Sure, appreciate it. Myself, I, I think it's a couple of dudes acting cute. So they can brag about putting something over on us folks out here in the West. I hope so. I'd, uh, I'd like to kind of rough them up a little. Show them that it isn't. Dale, ever notice where the ghost town has been built? You mean the way it's walled in by mountains? Set right down in a sort of a nest. And the only way of getting to it is that narrow trail... 
Hey, somebody's coming through the pass from the ghost town. Sure enough. Keep out of sight. Is that Clackety? No. Nope. He's coming from the ghost town. Dale, I wonder if you'd do guard duty while Gabby and I are in there. Why, sure, Roy. If you think... We don't know quite what we're going to run into. If you signal, I'll ride for town, Roy. That's it. I know you're anxious to get back to your ranch, so if we don't signal within a few minutes, you go ahead. Maybe you can catch up with Steve before he leaves. Sure. Come on, Gabby. Let's find out what kind of people have moved into Ghost Town. Well, now to see what's here besides empty buildings. Awful still, ain't it? Yeah, no sign of life at all. Where does Clackety live? Jack, just ahead. You wait here for us, figure. What first, huh? Hey, the door of the old meeting house here. Looks as if it's been disturbed lately. See how the dirt's been pushed away from the sill? Yep, sure has. Let's take a look, just to make sure. Hold it. That's all right, come on. Nobody's here. Scary, ain't it? An empty building. Look, there's the groceries that were stolen. Yeah. It took more than one or two men to carry all these away, Gabby. Must be quite a population in our ghost town. What are these things? Clothes of some sort. Prison uniforms. That's what they are. See here, numbers stenciled across the top. These are uniforms convicts wear in the state penitentiary. Oh, Pierce Claggett—he's got himself in bad company, don't it, son? Well, uh, hey, there was a break at the penitentiary across the state line about a month ago. Eight convicts got out. Never did hear whether they caught him or not. Maybe we'd better... They might be holed up here, Gabby. That'd explain why they're stealing stuff, especially food and clothing. They'd need eats, and they'd have to get rid of their prison uniforms. Son, through the back window. What? Horses. That means we're not alone. If they had left, they'd have ridden their horses out. Happy, come on. We're hightailing for the sheriff's office. All right, reach for the skies. Both of you. We'll teach you to come snooping around our layout. Let's rush them, Gabby. They got guns. We can't let them get free. We got the old guy. Help like him and the young one. Let me pick handles. Use that one. You'll need help before it's through. That'll take care of him for now. Ed, Blackie, get some rope. Tie him up and throw him in that empty shack. We'll decide what to do with them after we find out who's responsible for letting them get through the pass. <laughs> When we pitched into them, hombres, Roy and me had no idea how many of them there was. They'd come at us from every crack. And I gotta confess, if it was me, I'd have jumped on my horse and rid out of there. But not my partner, Roy. They were bad men, and he wasn't gonna let them get away if he could help it. They whipped us that fuss round. But if you think that's the end of this story, <laughs> you got another thing coming. You listen and see right after we have a little meeting on a subject that's next to Roy's heart. The giant of the cereal is Quaker Oats. The giant of the cereal is Quaker Oats. Delicious, nutritious, makes you feel ambitious. The giant of the cereal is Quaker Oats. Say, what's your biggest ambition? Everybody's got a yen to be a big shot in some line or other. Then get started on good breakfasts of Quaker Oats. Because Quaker Oats helps grow the stars of the future. Yes, doctors say the more often youngsters eat a good oatmeal breakfast, the better they grow. That's because a recent survey shows only one school child in five gets the kind of a breakfast he should have. There's more growth 
more endurance for you ambitious youngsters in nourishing oatmeal than any other whole grain cereal. Order delicious Quaker oats from your grocer tomorrow. Still less than a penny a serving. Delicious, nutritious, makes you feel ambitious. The giant of the cereal is Quaker oats. Things started disappearing from Paradise Valley. Roy and me got on the trail of the varmints who were taking them. We figured my cousin Clackety Hayes might have something to do with it. So we headed for the ghost town where Clackety lived. But there, instead of Clackety, we found a whole herd of escaped convicts. They jumped Roy and me and whipped us to a frazzle. Fact is, I don't remember nothing more till I heard Roy calling my name and... Debbie, are you all right? I... It's not too loud. They got a guard outside. And don't try to move. We're tied hand and foot. Laying here on the floor. Son, what in blazes? I want you to listen. Just listen. We guessed right. Those numbers are the escaped convicts. And we got to work fast if we intend to beat them. I didn't hear everything, but I heard enough to know that they intend to hide here until the hunt farm dies down. Oh, bad. They've been stealing stuff because... They're afraid to come out in the open. And I guess they figured as long as they left money for what they took, we wouldn't trail them. I ain't worrying so much about getting them as I am about us staying alive. Yeah. Well, I believe we can prevent them from doing anything to us, at least for a while. By pretending the law is on our trail, too. Pretending we're bad men? You and me? Yeah. Suppose Clackety should come home and see us. Clackety's my cousin. He's bound to show he knows me. Quiet, somebody outside. Don't take any chances, boys. If they come in, let me do the talking. Go on ahead, Slacky. I'll need help in getting rid of them, even if they are tied. I reckon we owe you fellas an apology, mister. Eh? What's that? We wouldn't have jumped you, except we had you figured for sheriff's men out the trappers. We've always used this ghost town as a hideout. And we thought this time the sheriff's men might be waiting for us. You said hideout. What are you hiding from? I doubt if I'll answer that, mister. Come to think of it. We don't know for sure you're not sheriff's men. And I don't aim to be tricked into anything. I kind of like the way he talks, boys. Smart. Maybe there are kinds. Don't be too sure, Spike. If they are like us, there might be a lot of help, especially in getting around this territory. I don't know if we want to be of help to you. Yeah, they probably do know the territory. They probably belong to one of them ranches around here. And if we let them go, they'll head for the sheriff or something. Let who go? You're not letting anybody go. We're staying here. We need this ghost town as much as you do, and we're staying. Do you understand that? Now, what do you think now, boys? I'm kind of inclined to go easy on them. Oh, uh, Spike. What? Oh, Ed's back. Come on in, Ed. Yeah, I, uh, brought Flackety in from town. Say, uh, who's this? Flackety, son. We're in for it now. All right, now we'll find out whether or not these two belong around here. Flackety, you know everybody in this country. I want you to take a look at those men on the floor. Is that there, fellas? Ever see him before, Claggety? Maybe on one of the ranches near here? I, uh, why, uh, no, sir, I don't believe it is. Well, that satisfies me. Cut the rope. You're not letting them go, are you, Spike? Of course I'm not letting them go. But they look like they're our kind, so let's make them comfortable. We'll still keep a guard on the door, but we'll postpone what we were going to do to them until we get proof of who they are and why they came here. <laughs> Yeah. Can't figure that claggity. 
Looking me straight in the eye and saying he never seen me before. Well, this sitting here is getting on my nerves, Pappy. Mine, too. I keep worrying about Dale. She was supposed to head back to her ranch if we didn't signal. But I'm afraid she may check up and find her at home. Debbie, if she takes a notion to ride here, none of us will have a chance. Nope. Including her. Oh, bad one. Claggedy. Is that you? Yeah. Just a second. Did you hear a new fellow about coming to my town? A bad critter cousin, Gabby. I, uh, I figured you wouldn't want me to say I know you when I was with such people, Gabby. Me already being a black sheep and shitless and lazy and all. Claggedy, we're going to appreciate what you did all our lives. You were all right, didn't you? I recognized you when I was here before, and I... Well, I knowed how nice you seemed, and I thought it'd be hunger for saying out here alone. I brung along with guitar. See? Well, I'm afraid singing might be against the rules here, Clackety. Oh, they don't care. Yeah, they, he's a guardian. He seen me come in. They always let me sing, as long as they don't get too loud. Well... Say, you might have an idea there, Clackety. If I was to do a little yodel and Dale was anywhere near, she'd think we were safe, son, and wouldn't try to come in. That's what I was thinking. Clackety, we will have music. Awful, I say, you sure enjoy it. Just an echo in the valley but it brings back sweet memories of you. Jimmy, the guitar, and be quick about it. No, no, the guitar is mine, boys. Don't bust it. Uh, this ain't his fault. I asked it to sing. Sure it is. Why would I want to give anybody a signal? We're hiding now. Oh, this ain't his fault. I asked him to sing. You sure? Well, Ed was outside the garden. He told me it was all right. Oh, well, that's different. Forget it. But no more singing, understand? Come on, boys. I reckon he wasn't trying to pull anything. Listen, an answer. Somebody's answering his signal. Dale, son. We better get out of here. Possibly heading this way. How about these two? I reckon we'll take care of ourselves right now. Get away from them, Spike. There isn't time to fight, Ron. We want out of here. We'll be back for you. He's turning. He's getting away. Hey, Blackie, let go. They signaled to somebody. We can't let him go, Gabby. We've got to keep him here until we reach the sheriff. How are we going to do that, Roy? I'll keep him. Trigger. Trigger, boy. Stampede those horses and run them out of here. Right through the pass. All the way, boy. That's it, we're not leaving until we can take these convicts with us. Get them, boys. That yellow horse is picking us up and bringing us, but we can take care of him. Yeah. Roy, they're coming back. Here, let's work out a while we can. They fixed us so we can't get away. Excuse me, please. Reckon if nobody wants to get shot, they'll put their hands in the air. Hey, what's going on here? I got a gun on you. That there fellow's a kid of mine, and I'm going to see that you don't hurt him. Glory is playing another. His friend is Roy Rogers. Why, Roy Rogers? Hey, uh, I bought this here gun here from one of them while they were sleeping, Daddy. What if I come in handy? Nice work, Clackety. Want to hand the gun to me? Be a pleasure. You and Gabby can lift theirs out of their belt. Huh. The fellow we saw leaving when was riding in. What? There he is. He's coming through the pass, and he's got a gun. Oh, oh that was close. He shot that pistol right out of your hand, hey, son. His gun's gone. Yeah. There he got his gun with that shot. Yeah, let's finish him this time. We fooled around so long. Yeah, I'm off of that. Hey, a posse. A posse is coming down the trail. Turn, look. They were bringing a posse. Yeah, the spike. Let's get these two first. Let's put them out of the way. Hey. 
about the most welcome sight a man ever saw. I'll take over, Roy. Keep those hands up, boys. Hank, Bird, get the gun. Uh, this is a mighty good haul, Roy. There's been a five-state search for these fellas. Been going on over a month. I sure thought we were going her. You can thank Dale that we're not, Gabby. Well, it was just luck we came, Roy. When I found out you hadn't gotten home this afternoon, I went down to tell the sheriff about everything. He was the one who thought we ought to head out this way. I did a little yodel, though, so you'd think that everything was okay. Sure, but right afterwards, we heard Trigger whinnying and running around. Then we saw the other horses come galloping through the pass without riders. That spell troubled us, so we decided to rush in here and see. And lucky for us, you did, too. Mighty lucky. be your last chance to get this handsome and very useful double boiler. Modern, streamlined, of finest quality, heavy gauge aluminum. It's highly polished, really beautiful, so practical you'll use it day after day for years. Friends, we're proud to offer you this fine, modern double boiler. It's made by one of America's old, reliable manufacturers of aluminum ware. Its quality is guaranteed by the Quaker Oats Company. The bottom section of heavy 18-gauge aluminum has a big two-quart capacity. The inset is a full quart and a half size. The cover fits both sections, so you can use each section as a separate saucepan. And listen, normal value of this new heavy-gauge aluminum double boiler is $2 and a half. Normal value, $2 and a half. But if you send immediately, you can get yours for only $1 and a quarter. And one Quaker or Mother's Oats trademark. That means a saving of one half. You save $1 and a quarter. Send at once. Here's all you have to do. Mail your name and address... One dollar and a quarter, only one dollar and a quarter, and one Quaker or Mother's Oats trademark to Double Boiler, Box 6166, Chicago 77. Hurry, supplies are very limited. This may be your last chance. Just put your name and address in a letter together with only one dollar and a quarter and one trademark from a package of either Quaker or Mother's Oats. Address, Double Boiler, Box 6166, Chicago 77. Dale, we came over because Gabby remembered in the excitement that we forgot to introduce them. Just a second there, son. I ought to have the privilege of introducing them. After all, Clackety is my team. <laughs> Chuck. Why, Gabby, I thought you considered Clackety a sort of a... No such thing. I say now what I always said. I'm proud my blood is flowing in Clackety's veins. He sure showed me he was related to me when he had them there convicts at the pint of a gun... With our hands reaching for the sky. Clackety, we think you sort of deserve some kind of a reward for helping us. Oh, shucks, no. I, I was already kind of sore to my fellas because they was taking my money to pay for the stuff they stole. So that's where the money came from. Uh-huh. See, that wasn't so bad, though, but when they stopped you singing, I got darn good mad. Darn tootin' you did. Yes, sir. I, I just knocked it whoops off the gun, then I'd have shot, too. Sure you would. If you hadn't tucked it away from me, I'd sure like you. Yeah. Just the same, Clackety. We're grateful. Say, I wonder if you'd like to stay here and work with my ranch hands on the Circle E. I'd invite you to stay at the Double R Bar, Clackety, but... 
I don't know if I could stand two members of the Hayes family around or not. Now, what you mean by that? <laughs> oh, if you don't mind, I think I'll just go on back to the ghost town. Quackity. I sort of like the quiet there. Shiftless, I guess, but the... I enjoy sitting there, wondering who kicks things up first so the sun shines every morning. Who sees to it that animals love their youngins and take care of them. And who figures it all out so things are like they are. I kind of like to think about that and about belonging to it all. I uh, hope your feelings won't be hurting on you if I... Uh, Going back, Clackety, you could still do Dale, if he wants to go back, we shouldn't try to stop him. Any man ought to be let live the kind of a life that he likes best. Just so long as he doesn't hurt anybody else by living it that way. Well, Gabby, reckon we better be riding along, eh? Sure a wise fella, my partner, Roy. Great fella, too. Want for him, and convicts might still be running around the country hurting folks. But they sure ain't. Got them locked up tighter in a vinegar barrel. We, uh, we got my cousin here with us, and we promised to sing him a little song. Likes music, you know. Roy, Dale, Roy Willen, the writers of the Purple Sage, everybody's going to join in, except you and me and my cousin Clackety, of course. We just listen. Thank 
to you. They just listen and comfort you. Hazy Mountain. That's all for now, folks. This is Roy Rogers saying to all of you, from all of us, goodbye, good luck, and may the good Lord take a liking to you. See you next week. Don't forget the May out of the sunshine and the brown from a rainy day. Wake the giant of the cereals, presents the Roy Rogers Show each week at this same hour with the writers of the Purple Page, Dale Evans, Gabby Hayes, and the king of the cowboys himself, Republic Pictures' great star in person, Roy Rogers. What's extra special good for Sunday supper? Ask Aunt Jemima. <laughs> Waffles. Golden, light, and tempting Aunt Jemima waffles makes the happiest Sunday supper ever. And quick, too, ladies. Just follow the easy directions on my Aunt Jemima pancake and waffle ready mix. For a Sunday treat, serve Aunt Jemima waffles for supper tonight. Republic's latest Roy Rogers picture is Nighttime in Nevada. This is Art Ballinger speaking for Quaker Oats, the giant of the cereals. Wheat Check, Rice Check, and Good Hot Ralston present... Space Patrol! Transcribed high adventure in the wild, vast reaches of space. Missions of daring in the name of interplanetary justice. Travel into the future with Buzz Corey, Commander-in-Chief of the Space Patrol! Buzz and Happy are in the lower shaft of a secret mine on Saturn's sixth moon as they wade through the water of the partly flooded shaft. A strange sound filters down through the mine. Happy, listen. Sounds like a motor of some kind. The mine's automatic pump. When the water reaches a certain level, it cuts on and draws off the water. But, Commander, look at the water level against the wall of the shaft. It's rising. You're right, Happy. That pipe isn't drawing water out. It's forcing it in. Someone reversed the pump. They're trying to drown us. We'll be back in just a moment with today's Space Patrol story, The Last Voyage of the Lonesome Lena. <laughs> Presenting the story of a young boy who didn't like any of the cereals his mom brought home. First, he'd say... I can't eat that stuff, Mom. Sometimes he'd say... Oh, gee, no flavor. And then again... Don't like it, Mom. I just don't like it. So she tried cereals in white packages, yellow packages, blue packages. But no luck. No flavor. 
Then one day, she brought home a pair of cereals in red and white checkerboard packages. Wowee, that's good. Oh, boy. Hmm. That's what he said when he tasted one of them. Jumping Jupiter. Great day in the morning. This is it. That's what he said when he tasted the other. The cereals? Rice checks and wheat checks, gang. Man, oh, man. They're my cereals. Buzz Corey cereals, too. The bite-sized super cereals that help to supercharge you. Best tasting cereals in the universe. And the only official ready-to-eat cereals of the Space Patrol. Fill her up, Mom. Rice checks. That's what our friend says now. Fill her up, Mom. Wheat checks. So, gang, if you want a cereal that's right on the beam for flavor, get the cereals in the red and white checkerboard packages. Rice checks. Wheat checks. <laughs> Saturn's number six moon, Titan, has become increasingly important to the commerce of the outer planets. However, rumors of illegal activity on Titan have caused Commander Corey to send Tonga, his assistant security chief, to the Saturn satellite to investigate. Now, Buzz and Happy, aboard Space Patrol Battlecruiser Terra 5, headed for Titan, are talking to Tonga by spaceophone, as she reports from the satellite's chief settlement, Titan Center. So you find that the chief black market items are processed foods and medical supplies, huh? That's right, Commander. What about those reports we received in the uranium mine? Was there anything to the sabotage rumors? Well, there was no actual sabotage, but about two weeks ago, a couple of men did try to get inside the guarded area. Were they captured? No, they got away. But there haven't been any recent incidents. Have you found out who's behind this black market food situation? No, but there's a lot of talk about a Captain Kruger. Captain Gustav Kruger? Yes, he's the one. He's quite a legend in this part of the solar system. I think I've heard of him, Commander. Isn't he that old-time space pilot who has the broken-down cargo ship? Yes, Happy. Lonesome Lena, he calls it. He's been shuttling back and forth between Saturn's moons for years. I've never heard of him being mixed up in anything dishonest. Who gave you this information? A man named Sherwin McCurdy, for one. He's behind a lot of this new development in Titan. Kruger has given McCurdy some trouble, but uh, I don't think McCurdy takes the old gentleman too seriously. Have you met Kruger? No, not yet. He just got back from Saturn. He's at Titan Center Spaceport repairing his ship. We'll have a talk with him when we land. Meet us at the spaceport and we'll go over together. Yes, sir. Corey out. Well, stand by for landing, Happy. Standing by, sir. Kill rockets. Rockets out. Hit repeller ray. Repeller ray on, sir. Now, let's button up the ship, and then we'll have a chat with Captain Kruger. So that's the lonesome Lena. Boy, that ship must be a hundred years old. Well, not quite happy, but it has seen a lot of service. It's so patched up. And look how it's pitted with meteor hits. Only a real space pilot could keep it in operation. Is that Kruger coming down the ladder? Yes. Captain Kruger! Oh, Captain Kruger! He looked right at us and then turned away. I told you he was independent. Let's get over there. He's checking the hatch. Well, how's the ship, Captain? Uh, good for another 50 billion GUs. With you handling it anyway. Remember me, Commander Corey? Yeah, I recognized you. This is my cadet, Happy. Very glad to know you, Captain. Uh, have some callium seeds, cadet? Some what? Callium seeds. <laughs> Great unraveled orbits, Commander. Don't tell me this new crop of space cadets doesn't know what callium seeds are. Never heard of them, Captain. <laughs> Your education sure has been neglected. Well, they grow on Venus, Happy. 
They used to be very popular on space flights. Yeah, you never get space sickness if you chew calium seeds. Not only that, but they keep you from blacking out at high acceleration. Oh. And out in space, you never mind the absence of gravity as long as you chew calium seeds. As you can see, Happy, Captain Kruger is a pilot of the old school. He's the only pilot I know who still chews raw calium seeds. Yeah. People nowadays won't touch them. Just because they stain your hands purple when you crack them. Ah. Well, Commander, you didn't come over here for a lecture on calium seeds. What's on your mind? Oh, just a few questions about business. Ah, I see. I suppose you've heard rumors that I'm hijacking food and selling it on the black market. Is that it? There are a lot of rumors in Titan these days, Captain. Yeah, and a lot of upstarts. They come in here with shiny new ships and big ideas. They act like I don't belong. I'm getting shoved around, Commander. But I'm not going to take it. I never have. I'm not going to now. Well, now, if you'll excuse me, i got some repairs to make. Lonesome Lena's in pretty bad shape. All right, Captain. Come on, Happy. Let's find Tonga. You can tell them for me that if Sherwin McCurdy promised delivery, they'll get it. We're a little short of spaceships here on Titan right now. Hey, look, stall them off. Promise them anything. I'll call you back later. Come in. McCurdy, I want to work with you. Well, Captain Kruger, glad to see you. Put your hand back in your pocket, McCurdy. Why, what's the matter, Captain? You seem angry. Why wouldn't I be? For ten years, I've been setting the old lonesome Lena down on Titan any place I wanted, or on any moon in the Saturn system. Folks were mighty glad to see me whenever I rocketed in, until your crowd got here. My Crowd, Captain? One of your hired flunkies just told me I can't set down on the Titan Center spaceport anymore. Oh, what kind of high-handed nonsense is that? It isn't nonsense, Captain. You can't put the Lonesome Lena down on this port. Well, that old bucket of bolts you call the Lonesome Lena is a menace. If I had my way, I'd report you to the Space Patrol. They'd melt up that old hulk. Oh, you would. You'd melt up a ship that has helped keep people alive for the last 40 years out here on these moons. Ship's out of date. It's served its purpose. Now it's finished. Who are you to decide whether the lonesome leaner's finished? Why, one patch on that old battered hull is worth 10,000 of you. Melt her up, would you? I warn you, McCurdy, if you ever say that again, I'll slap you. Take space. your hands off me. Take your All right, hands Captain, off that's me. enough. Commander uh. Corey, this man attacked me. You got here just in time. What's the trouble here? I was merely pointing out that his spaceship violates Space Patrol safety regulations. That's a bald-faced lie, McCurdy. The Lonesome Lena's safe as any ship in the space lane. Does it have repeller ray equipment? Well, no. Does but... it have infrared viewscope equipment? I don't need it. I can land it blindfolded on any spaceport in the solar system. Does it have Class A radiation shielding on the space drive? Ah, her shielding's good enough. I ought to know I built it. I see, Commander. Obviously, he can't be permitted to land here at Titan Center. Those are regulations. Commander, I've always respected you. Are you going to side in with this planet lubber? I'm sorry, Captain Kruger, but I don't make the regulations. My job is to enforce them. There are thousands of people here in Titan Center. Their safety comes first. They're safer with Lonesome Lena than with half the amateur pilots in these new ships, and you know it. Captain, if we made an exception in your case, we'd have to do it for everyone. However, we won't be concerned if you have these safety devices installed. But that takes money, Commander. I haven't got it. I'll never be able to get it if I can't land here to load and unload freight. Well, perhaps you can work out some arrangements to land outside a ten-mile radius of Titan Center. Ten miles? Uh, might as well be ten DUs out in space. I'm sorry, Captain Kruger. There's nothing I can do. Uh, 
You win, McCurdy. Have some callium seed. I won't be needing them anymore. Well, Captain is very dramatic, isn't he? I don't find it amusing, Mr. McCurdy. That old ship of his means more than his livelihood. His life. Well, Commander, I wouldn't let my sympathies blind me to Captain Kruger's uh, sharp practices. What do you mean? Kruger's lived by his wits. He's been a lone wolf. Now he's up against the rules of society, and instead of abiding by the rules, he takes the attitude that everyone's against him. Watch him, Commander. I confess I'm rather afraid of what he might do. I'm here in Titan to prevent trouble, Mr. McCurdy. That's why I came to see you. I'd like to talk to you about conditions here. Of course. Sit down. All right, now, I just want to make an appointment. I have a few matters to talk over first with my assistant security chief, Tonga, back at our temporary headquarters. I see. How about later today? That'll be fine, Commander. I'll look forward to it. So the captain is really sore, huh? Yeah. In a way, I can't blame him. Oh, Tonga, did you tell the commander about the uranium mine? Uranium mine? Yes, the big one, halfway around Titan. Someone is planning to tap the mine. Dig into it from a natural cavern on the other side of the mountain so they can steal the ore or sabotage the mine. Who's behind this? I don't know. But I do know that some mining equipment has been hidden in the cavern. And I know the location. They are being very careful. The crust tunnel is being worked only when the cavern is on the night side of Titan. It's daylight there now. I think Happy and I ought to take a look at it. Do you want me to go too, Commander? No, you stay here in Titan Center. Call Sherwin McCurdy. Tell him I won't be able to keep that appointment. May not be back in time. There's the mouth of the cavern, sir. Uh, there's been plenty of activity around here, too, by the looks of the ground. Yeah, there's a pipe leading from the cavern. A drainage pipe. Machinery right inside the cave. Looks like a pump. A pump? Apparently they have to keep pumping water out of the shaft inside the cavern. Get your atomic light hat. We'll have a look inside. Don't bump your head when you go through this opening, Happy. I wonder how close we are to the regular mine. It's hard to tell. Hey, we're in water over our ankles. Uh-huh. Oh, the shaft can't go much farther. We must be halfway into the mountain by now. The water's getting deeper, sir. It's nearly up to my waist. Yeah. Listen. Sounds like a motor of some kind. Must be back outside the cabin. The automatic pump engine. When the water reaches a certain level, it cuts on and draws off the water. But, Commander, look at the water level against the wall of the shaft. It looks like it's rising. You're right, Hap. That pipe isn't drawing water out, it's forcing it in. Someone reversed the pumps. They know we're down here and they're trying to drown us. Back with Space Patrol in just a minute. They call him Whizzer, and there's not another boy in the neighborhood who can play basketball half as well. <laughs> What's your secret, Whizzer? No secret. I just get supercharged every morning. You mean you have a good breakfast with a checkerboard super cereal? You bet. Rice chicks, wheat chicks, or instant Ralston. That's how Buzz Corey gets supercharged. That's how I get supercharged. Hey, how about those checks? They're plenty delicious, right? I'll say. And they're bite-sized. And they're the only cereals in the universe that have that modern bite-sized design. And there's only one cereal in the universe like Instant Ralston. I love it. That's the hot super cereal. Helps you to think fast, act fast. And play basketball fast. You said it. Instant Ralston is a cereal for winners and whizzers. That's what you are, a winner. How about you, gang? Wouldn't you like to be whizzer, 
Get supercharged. Eat a good breakfast with a checkerboard super cereal. Don't wait. Get them today. Rice checks, wheat checks, good hot Ralston. Buzz and Happy have entered a cavern on Titan, sixth moon of the planet Saturn, to investigate a hidden shaft that they believe leads to a uranium mine. After crawling through a narrow opening far under the ground, they suddenly noticed that the water in the bottom of the shaft seemed to be rising. Then they heard the sound of the pump echoing down from the cavern opening and realized that water was being deliberately pumped into the mine shaft to drown them. With the water up to their chests, they flashed their atomolites around them, searching for a way to escape. Hey, wait, half. Listen. I don't hear the pump anymore. Maybe it's been shut off. No. The water's still gushing in from that pipe. We don't hear the pump because the water is over the narrow opening. Well, then how are we going to get through? We'll dive under long enough to get to a place where the water doesn't fill the shaft. All set, Happy? Yes, sir. Dive deep. Come on, Happy. Let's get out of this place. I'll shut it off. There's no sign of a ship around here, sir, except ours. Whoever did this has certainly finished us off. I'd sure like to find out who it was. Happy. Look there on the ground. See what's scattered around the pump? Callium seeds. Right. Well, I guess we know who turned the pump on, sir. I've known Captain Kruger a long time. I can't imagine him doing a thing like this. Shall I pick up some of these seeds, sir, for evidence? Yes. Then let's get back to Titan Center. I don't understand it, Commander. I don't see how Kruger or anyone else knew that I told you about the secret mine. Well, he could have seen our ship headed that way and followed us in Lonesome Lena. Well, if he did, he must be working with a gang. While you were gone, something happened here. Oh, some antibiotics were stolen. Several thousand credits worth. The worst part of it is they're urgently needed at a hospital on Saturn. There's an epidemic of Zeta virus in Saturn City. Well, can't they send medicine in from some other planet? Well, this particular antibiotic is made here on Titan. There is some on the other planets, but there isn't enough time to get it. And if a supply of the medicine isn't taken to Saturn very soon, the doctors say a lot of cases will prove fatal. Yeah, there must be some more of that medicine here on Titan. Maybe McCurdy can help us out. I've already talked to McCurdy. He said he's contacted every possible source. The thieves stole every bit of it and will now hold out for a fancy prize. Well, they won't have to hold out long. Commander, do you think Kruger's mixed up in this, too? We're going to find out, Happy. Let's find the lonesome Lena. Corey! Captain Kruger! I won't be persecuted. Not by the Space Patrol or anybody else. I'm getting a raw deal. And if you're as fair-minded as I think you are, you'll agree with me. Is the raw deal you're getting as bad as being nearly drowned in a flooded mine? Huh? What are you talking about? Show him the evidence, Happy. Yes, sir. Recognize these, Captain? Well, of course, they're callium seeds. We found them by the pump, Kruger. Pump? What pump? In the opening of the secret shaft near the uranium mine. I'm not interested in any uranium mines. I want justice. Commander... Look what that McCurdy has done to me now. You see this paper? It's a doctor's order telling me I can't make any more commercial space flights. 
But Curdy has been trying to get the official doctors on me for months. We finally succeeded. They gave me a checkup, and I'm grounded. Let me see that. For six hours, they gave me tests. Heart, blood pressure, metabolism, the works. This is Dr. Greer's signature, all right? Yeah. But just read what he says. Captain Kruger's condition makes any further space flights extremely dangerous. As a space physician, I deem it inadvisable for Captain Kruger to be permitted to operate any commercial spacecraft for reasons of his own safety and the safety of others. Signed, Dr. Melvin Greer. What am I going to do now, Commander? I'll starve to death. I'd rather go quick, blasting off on a spaceship. Now just a minute, Captain. This physical examination must have taken several hours. I just told you it did. Then you couldn't have been at the mine. Mine? I haven't been near any mine. I haven't been anywhere but in a doctor's office getting needles stuck in me. And that isn't all. While the doc was working on me, there was a gang of inspectors checking over Lonesome Lena. Official space patrol inspectors? Yeah. That's another thing McCurdy's been trying to arrange for months. I admit I've been dodging inspection because I knew what they'd say. Me and Lonesome Lena were both out of commission. I'm sorry about that, Captain Kruger. Yeah, you're sorry. But you can be thankful for one thing. This examination clears you of suspicion. Someone has been trying very hard to implicate you in a serious crime. Well, that's not news to me, Commander. I have an idea who it might be. You mean McCurdy, sir? Uh, now, wait a minute. I know McCurdy has it in for me, but I'd say this for him. He tried to get Dr. Greer to postpone the physical examination. Oh, he did. After trying for months to bring it about. Yeah, but it didn't do any good. The doc said I was too slippery an old cuss to take chances with. So I was stuck. Happy. Tonga, we're going to find McCurdy. Captain, you stay around close in case I need you. Uh, don't worry, Commander. I won't be going anywhere. There he is, sir. Uh, heading for that atmosphere ship. Oh, he certainly seems in a hurry. Tonga, wait here. Come on, Happy. Curdy, wait a minute. He's running for the ship, sir. Well, Curdy, hold it. I want to talk to you. What is it, Commander? I've got a few questions I'd like to ask. Of course. We've just come from your office. From the looks of things, you left in a hurry. In fact, it looks as though you didn't intend to come back. Should that concern the Space Patrol, Commander? Possibly. Where were you going? I happen to have business at Torkman on the other side of Titan. Now, if you'll excuse me... Not until you explain that purple stain on your hands. What? That purple stain on your hands. Could it be from callium seeds? Callium seeds? Why, what would I be doing with callium seeds? Scattering them around a pump, maybe? That package you're holding, what's in it? This has gone far enough. Stand back and get your hands up. You ought to be quicker than that, McCurdy. Let go of that ray gun. That's it. Now, don't try anything like that again. Commander, this package he's got. Look at the label. Acro Laboratories, Titan Center. Antibiotics. This must be the medicine that was to go to Saturn. Take it back to Tonga. We'll blast off for Saturn right away. You won't get off Titan in your ship, Corey. Why not? I put your controls out of commission so you couldn't follow me. And there isn't any other ship on the satellite except my atmosphere ship. And that won't take you there. I'm afraid he's right, Commander. You'll have to space a phone to Saturn for a ship to come and get us. Oh, but that will take hours. The situation on Saturn is critical. Commander! Oh, yes, Captain? Well, I see you got McCurdy. Yes, and the medicine. Yeah, but McCurdy's wrecked our ship. There's no way to get off of Titan. Well, how about the lonesome Lena? Uh, but Lena's grounded. Ah, just a lot of official space jabber. She'll still fly. And by Jupiter, I'm taking you all to Saturn. You'd better let me take your ship, Captain, after what the doctor said. Uh, Commander, I know you're the best pilot in the solar system, but uh, 
Lena's sort of, well, temperamental. She's got a lot of quirks and things. If she isn't handled just right, well, uh, she just might go all to pieces. Are you sure you're willing to risk a blast off in Lena after what the doctor said? Commander, I'm safer in Lonesome Lena than anywhere in the universe. Then let's go. Come on, McCurdy. We're taking you with us. Not in that pile of junk. It isn't safe. Get going. The ship's condemned. You have no right to endanger my life. Why, you low-frequency crook. As though your life was worth a allium seed. Let's go. Bring the medicine, Happy. All right, everybody. Sit tight. We're going to blast off. Look at those controls. Why, well, they're just patched together. Keep quiet, McCurdy. All right, Captain, when you're ready. Uh, wait, wait just a minute. i got a few more adjustments to make here. Like I said, Lena's temperamental. You sort of got a sense what to do. Oh, I admit I have never seen a control set up like this. Ah. Are you ready, everybody? Yes. All set. Let her go. And here we go. Excellent blast off, Captain. Yeah, just like I said. I, uh, Captain, what's wrong? My, my heart. i get the first aid kit if there is one. He's passed out. Now what are we going to do? Happy. Yes, Commander? Help me lift the captain out of the pilot seat. Yes, sir. <laughs> Happy, you and Tonga see what you can do to make him comfortable. I'll take the lonesome Lena into Saturn. How you doing, Commander? All right, so far, Happy. We're two minutes out of Saturn City Spaceport. How's the captain? He seems to be coming out of it, sir. Congress trying to make him lie down back aft. He had me worried for a while. I hope he can take the landing. It'll be just as bad as the blast off with this antiquated equipment. Have you space phoned the hospital, sir? Yes. The chief physician says that if we get the medicine there in half an hour, we'll be in time. Oh, we can do that easy. Yes, I can land this hulk without crashing. Stand by for landing. Commander! Captain Kruger. I just couldn't make him stay in the bunk, Commander. Oh, I'm sorry I conked out on you, but well, I see you got everything under control. Uh, you think you can handle the landing, Commander, or do you want me to... I'd better take her in, Captain, in case you... Oh, sure, sure. But if I just might make a suggestion... But that's it, that's it! Thunder and Comets, Commander, you sure know how to handle Lonesome Lena. Here we go. Brace yourselves. That's it. That's it. You've got it. You've got it. We made it. Captain, are you all right? Oh, just fine. That was a great landing, Commander. I couldn't have done better myself. Say, you took that pretty well. Oh, I found some callium seeds back aft. Hmm. Nothing like them for space flying. You have some, Cadet? This time you've got a customer, Captain. I, I don't feel so well. <laughs> this is Commander Corey. And Marvin Miller. Reminding you that pulling up to your breakfast table... Is like pulling up to a filling station. Give him our example, Marvin. A jet cycle has just pulled into a filling station to get its tank filled. The man has it filled with ordinary fuel. Listen. 
Not much go in that jet cycle, is there? Now listen to the same jet cycle filled with super fuel. That cycle's flying like a rocket now because it's supercharged with super fuel. Same thing is true for you, gang. To get going in the morning, you need super fuel, too. So get supercharged the way space patrollers do. Eat a good breakfast with Instant Ralston, the hot super cereal. Instant Ralston helps you to think fast. And act fast. So remember, when you pull up to your breakfast table, it's just like pulling up to a filling station. You're there for fuel. Super fuel. So you can get supercharged. I'll take a tip. Eat a good breakfast with instant Ralston and get supercharged. Get it today in the red and white checkerboard package. Good hot Ralston. And now for a preview of next week's exciting Space Patrol story. Buzz and Happy have gone to the offices of John Crozer to rescue a noted scientist abducted by Crozer. I know Professor Hegman is somewhere in this building, Crozer. Take us to him. Why, Commander... You're mistaken. Oh, no, we're not. Don't sit there under that sun lamp. Take me to Hegman. Well, all right, Corey. If you insist. Hey, my eyes. Turn that lamp off. Get him, Happy. I can't see. Uh, here's yours, cadet. Now, Corey, I'm going to finish you off permanently. Be sure to be with us next Saturday for the exciting story, The Brain Bank and the Space Binocular. When wheat checks, rice checks, and good hot Ralston again bring you Space Patrol! And now, gang, here's a word from Cadet Happy. Boys and girls, this is Cadet Happy. Do you know how life-giving oxygen is carried to the cells of the body? By the bloodstream. So when a person loses a great deal of blood in an accident or in sickness, there's not enough blood left to do that job. Result? The person dies. So, will you help me save lives by joining the Space Patrol Blood Boosters? It's fun. It's patriotic. So, join the Space Patrol Blood Boosters today. Space Patrol, an original Mike Moser production, starring Ed Kemmer as Commander Corey and Lynn Osborne as Cadet Happy, was written by Lou Houston and directed by Larry Robertson. Other players were Marvin Miller, Nina Vara, and Norman Jolly. Don't forget to tune in next Saturday and every Saturday when Wheat Checks, Rice Checks, and Good Hot Ralston again present the new exciting Space Patrol! Be sure to see another exciting Space Patrol story on your local ABC television station. Consult your local newspaper for time and channel. Space Patrol comes to you transcribed from Hollywood. This is ABC Radio Network.
tonight by Ron Evans is entitled River of Evil. Large as the first. 
Even the panning of the river showed they'd hit pay dirt in a big way. It was decided by mutual agreement that they would all ride into Pilgrim's Rest and file their claims after Jock, Tommy, Tubby, and Arn had bought their prospector's licenses. The night before leaving, they sat around their campfire, heads filled with a dream of wealth to come. More coffee, anybody? I'll have some, please, Master. It's gone cold. Yeah, and there's lightning over there in the hills. Could be a thunderstorm brewing up. Well, I hope it doesn't flood the river. Maybe Martha should stay back here instead of riding all that way tomorrow. On my own? Never. Well, you could stay with her, Matt. You've got your license and we could file your claim. I'll rather do it myself, and I reckon Martha must come too. Oh, don't you worry. I will. Here it comes. Oh, well, I'm not going to sit here and get booked. See you in the morning. I'm going to my tent too. Good night. Oh, the feeling we're in for a long downfall. Yeah. Well, I reckon I'll go and dream about all that gold. Good night. Jock Cameron quickly fell asleep in spite of the heavy rain outside. He didn't see the dark figure enter his tent, carefully fold tightly the blanket lying by his feet and move into a position by his head. Then suddenly he stirred and sensed he was not alone. Uh, who, who is it? What do you want? Anything else he had to say was cut off when the blanket was forced down over his face. No, 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 Soon, Jock stopped moving, and he lay quite still. Dead still. Then, as silently as it entered, the dark figure crept back out into the wet night. The morning dawned dull and damp. The rain had stopped, but the dry ground of the previous day was now thick mud. Tommy Miller pulled back the flap of Jock's tent. Hey, Jock, Tommy, you're up and about. Do you hear me? Hey, Jock, come on, man. We're moving off soon. You know, you devil. What's the matter, Tommy? The old coot wanted to lie in? That bat. He's dead. Dead? No, he can't be. Well, he's not breathing. Here, let me take a look at him. The excitement over the last two days must have been too much for him. Yeah. Yeah, he's dead. And stone cold. Must have gone during the night. Poor old devil. He spent his life looking for gold, and look what happened. I guess he had a weak heart. Pity he didn't tell us he had a weak heart. We could have given him lighter work to do. Well, I'll go and give the others the bad news. They can help us dig a grave. We don't even know his real name. Probably find it amongst his effects, though. It, wouldn't it be better if we took the body into Pilgrim's Rest? His death will have to be reported. Oh, why bother, Tom? The folks here might start asking awkward questions, and there'll be an inquiry, maybe. After all, who else knows is in the Transvaal except us. That's true, Matt. But look, look, we can give him a decent burial here, and then we'd have no need to worry any more about it. Look, I reckon that's the way that Jock would have preferred it anyway. You're right, I suppose. It'd save us a lot of time and trouble. Yeah, well, come on, then. Let's go and tell the others. facing away from the river. They packed up the camp and rode upriver to a drift. 
When Matt tried to cross, he was nearly swept away by the flood. So it was decided to set up camp on some higher ground until the water subsided and it was safe to cross. Martha Hendricks began to prepare supper and asked Matt to go down to the river for water. Equipped with a large pot, he left to do the chore and did not return. Tommy, will you go and see what Matt's doing? He went for water at least half an hour ago. I'll go with you. Need to stretch my legs some. How long do you think the river's going to be in flood like this? Oh, if it don't rain, I'd say we can safely cross in the morning. Can you see him, Tubby? No. He can't be far away, though. Matt! Matt! Let's both try. Matt! Matt! Tommy, what's that further downstream there? Look, you see it? Where? I can't see anything except... Oh, yeah. Now, you mean that brown thing? It's a hat. Just at the water's edge. It's Matt's hat. Can you reach it? Uh, Yeah. Uh, Here it is. It's all wet. It's been in the water and washed back onto the bank here. A Yankee fool's gone and fallen in by the look of it. Unless he's an exceptional swimmer, that's the end of Matt Ludlow. Even a good swimmer stands little chance in that torrent. He'll have been smashed to a pulp by the rocks down there. Two deaths in one day. I don't like it. It's as though that gold we found is jinxed. Their companions in camp were horrified when they were told of Matt's death. A gloom descended on them as they watched Martha cook dinner. The evening sun glowed redly, making the flames of the campfire appear to be non-existent. As Martha put the food out, each of them took his plate and ate hungrily. Mm. Yeah, I hope we can get across that darned river in the morning. Mm. See those clouds to the south? Mm. It could rain again. Uh, why are you always looking at the black side of life, Arm? Uh, that way, I'm never disappointed. But very often, pleasantly surprised. I think if you smiled, the hillside would crumble. Oh, please don't <laughs> bake her. It's been a day of tragedy, and we're all feeling edgy, I know. I try to be cheerful, even if it has to be forced. Martha's right. Tomorrow, we've got a bright new world to face. <laughs>
Martha Hendricks went early to her tent. It had taken them a long time to calm her down. Tommy and Tubby found a piece of soft ground and silently buried their companion. For a while, they stared across the campfire, lost in thought and with little to say. Don't know about you, Tubby, but I'm not superstitious. Well, I am. I've seen some strange things in my time. You do well to respect it. Respect what? The supernatural. There's a jinx on us, Tommy. How else can these deaths be explained? Oh, I don't know. But there must be some rational explanation. Well, you won't find one. I'm scared to my back teeth. Well, so am I. But it ain't ghosts, banshees, and poltergeists I'm scared of. This is Africa, Tommy. It's a strange country, and we just don't know. Now, you're letting your mind run wild. Uh, since we left Mozambique, we haven't seen another living person other than Martha and Matt. Doesn't it strike you as odd? Yeah, I'll admit to that. But then I heard that there isn't much of a native population in this region. Yeah, that's right, Boyer. But why? It seems like good land. It's fertile. Uh, maybe Martha's right. There's a curse on it. <laughs> Nonsense. You've been reading too many books. Yes, you can laugh. I just hope we're alive in the morning so we can cross the river. Yeah, yeah that's right. And when we're crossing, I'll remind you about this stupid conversation. Oh, we'll see. I'm going to sleep. And sleep well. I'll call you at first light. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Sleep with your revolver in one hand. Maybe it'll scare away those ghosts of yours. I don't <laughs> think that's funny. How could I have done it? You saw me coming out of my tent. That doesn't mean a thing. 
You could have dodged into it just before I came out of mine. No, Tommy, you're wrong. Why would I want to kill Tommy? I liked him. That's what I'd like to know. Maybe you want this gold all for yourself. Maybe you were planning to kill me next. I swear I didn't kill Tommy. Please believe me, Tommy, please. How can I believe you? There's only the two of us here. Who else could have fired the shot? I don't know. I don't know. I, I tell you, this place is jinxed. I don't think the gold commissioner in Pilgrim's Rest is going to believe that. You're going to hand me over. It, it, it's your word against mine, then. That's right, Martha. I suppose you killed the others, too. How could I? I'm only a woman. How could I suffocate a big man like... Oh, so, Jock was suffocated, was he? Yeah, you must be a lot stronger than you look. I, I didn't mean that. If he was murdered, well, well, it, it must have been by suffocation. And how could I have killed Matt? We were all together in camp at the time. His death could have been a genuine accident. So could the others. My husband and Arne. Arne was poisoned. I'm sure of that now. You can't prove that. The authorities will. All they have to do is dig him up and hold a post-mortem. Oh, all right. You win. Things didn't go quite as I'd hoped. You're admitting you killed him? <laughs> You'll find out the truth of that very soon. Meanwhile, what are you going to do with me? I'm going to tie your hands behind your back and stand guard over you till daylight. And then? And then I'm taking you into Pilgrim's Rest. I'll tell you something. You won't get there alive, I can promise you that. How do you mean by that? Wait and see, Tommy boy. You're not as clever as you think you are. Tommy pulled her out of the tent after sticking the two guns into his belt. Out in the flickering firelight, she suddenly turned and looked at him, her expression a mixture of arrogance and triumph. He took a length of rawhide and pulled her arms behind her, about to tie her wrists. A shadow moved out of the surrounding bush and leveled a rifle at them. Look over there, Tommy. It's the answer to all your problems. Stand still, Miller. Keep well, your hands where I can see them. Oh, darling, I'm glad you kept with an earshot. He knew that Tubby hadn't killed himself. Stay where you are, Martha. Don't come any closer. But, Matt, what... It seems you'll both have to die now. Matt, you, you can't be serious. We're in this together. There's more than enough for both of us. Sorry, Martha. But we love each other, Matt. I love that gold more. Besides, you'll never be able to keep your mouth shut. Now, women can't. Now, keep back, I tell you. I'm beginning to see it all now. It's going to do you no good, Limey. Matt, you must listen to me. before the American could take aim. Tommy had both guns in his hand. He waited, unable to see Matt. He waited in vain. As silently as he had appeared, Matt Ludlow faded into the surrounding bush. After what seemed like an hour, Tommy crawled out into the firelight, careful in case the American was waiting in ambush for him. When he considered it safe, Tommy went to Martha, who was sprawled out near her tent. She was still alive and groaning. Martha, where did he get you? The stomach. Oh. The swine. I never thought he'd... Keep you know. still. Keep still if you can. I'll take a look. I'll try, but...
risk crossing the river. He saddled the one horse. What are you doing? We're leaving. Matt could come back any time and catch us off guard. Tell me the truth, Tommy. Am I dying? Yes. Yes, you are. Even, even if we get to a doctor? I'm afraid so. I see. You're going to need me, though. Matt tells a long story about you to the commissioner. He'll be believed. He's known in Pilgrim's Rest. You're not. You'll need me alive to tell the truth. Who did the killings? Matt? We both killed my husband. Matt killed old Jock and Tubby. It was me who poisoned Arne. The plan had been to keep you alive to testify that they were all natural or accidental. When you realized that Tubby had been murdered, the plan went awry. And what about Matt? He was supposed to be dead, too. He'd have wandered on foot into Pilgrim's Rest to tell everybody how he'd been washed away by the, by the flood and to walk back. And I'd suffer an accidental death later, eh? Probably. Sounds like a mad scheme to me. It nearly worked. Now, look, I'm going to lift you under my horse. It'll be painful. I'm ready. Right. Here we go, then. Just hold on tight while I climb up behind you. Uh, try to relax. We've a long way to go. The river had fallen. It was still deep, but with difficulty they succeeded in crossing. Gun, huh? well, that's enough of them in here. She must have taken one when I wasn't looking. Man, 
This is going to take a lot of explaining to those folks in Pretoria. We never even had so much as an armed robbery here before. Now, suddenly, we get five killings to explain. Six. Six? How do you figure that out, son? Martha. She's dead. Adventure is produced by Anne Freed and directed by Henry Diffenthal.